Warning, this show may contain adult content, language, and humor, and is intended for mature audiences. If that's not you, please stop listening now. Nothing you hear on Sex and Science Hour is intended as medical advice, financial advice, legal advice, therapy, or really anything other than entertainment. Please take everything you hear with a grain of salt. Oh, and if you're hearing us on an affiliate network, the ideas and views expressed on this show are not necessarily those of the network you're listening on or of any sponsors or affiliate products you might hear about on the show. Now that all that's out of the way, let's start the show. This is Sex and Science Hour with Brian Sovereign and Dr. Stephanie Murphy. Get your freak on. How could you not dance to that, really? I dance every time. It gets you know, me sweaty. Uh, <laughs> there you go again with that sweaty thing. That's right. See, nobody gets it until you explain the joke. We're trying to develop our own jargon here at Sex and yep, Science. Yeah, we're becoming a cult. Not that we're trying to start a cult. We just, you know, the jargon <laughs> is... An element of a cult, but not a dead ringer. So right. I think we can get away with that, with that without being a cult. That's right. I mean, we're not really asking people for money, so there, yeah, there you yeah. go. But anyway, um, I said the thing about dancing, because not because I wanted to talk about sweaties, but because <laughs> I got an email from um, a friend of ours this week who listens to the show, and she said that she was spontaneously dancing whenever our bumpers came on, and she couldn't help it. It was like she was possessed. That's fantastic. She's Wow. All right. Isn't that interesting? We're that doing is. like mind control with our show. Well, it's really roll music, I guess, who <laughs> who wrote those bumpers. <laughs> right. The ironic thing is we discovered somewhere in season one that the first intro bumper is actually kind of like the Soviet march, but in chiptune form and also like more fun. Yes. So do with but, that what you will. Yeah. Think of that what you will. Yeah. I think it's kind of great to, to be dancing to to some soviet, soviet classics March. yeah that's right we're you know we were just talking about i'm in this private facebook group <laughs> not the one i mentioned i kind of think we're commies and you go ahead we're not commies okay <laughs> <laughs> most commies aren't even commies but all right let's go what do you mean by that oh we don't need to go down oh my god road. don't go down the rabbit hole no, now no. um <laughs> we don't have time this is just the interest <laughs> segment but speaking of soviet stuff i was um I was on a private Facebook group before we started the show and somebody posted like an interesting thing about what's the first major news story you remember as a kid. Ah. And I thought it was a fun game and we were talking about it before the, the show started. And I said the first thing I felt like I remembered was Ronald Reagan being on TV talking about the Berlin Wall and it falling down and stuff. Oh. And I thought I had remembered Mr. Gorbachev tear down this wall. Gorby, take down that wall. Right. Hey, that was pretty good, but he didn't say Gorby. <laughs> no. But then I read on Wikipedia that, it. first of all, it happened when I was three years old, so I doubt I have memories from that point. Second of all, it didn't get very much media coverage at the time when he gave that speech. So I yeah, think I'm I think probably, got some, but yeah. I think I'm probably just confabulating that story out of like, I remember seeing Reagan on the TV, and I remember talk of like Soviet stuff and the Berlin yeah. Wall. And then I think my mind just kind of filled in the blanks. But what about you, Brian? What's the first thing you remember, um, the first big news story you remember being aware of when you were a child? 
Well, I think, uh, I mean, I remember the, the Berlin wall thing. What, of course I remember more vividly, um, you know, Scorpions playing wind of change when it happened because they had like a big benefit concert for when that wall got taken down. And that, that song was a, that song was a big deal, uh, during that event. I don't, I don't exactly remember the timeline of everything. So I'm just going to give you a quick three. And as far as whichever one, three. Yeah, whichever one came first, I don't know. Uh, I remember, well, I, I kind of know, I guess. But Challenger, I definitely remember when Challenger blew up. Yeah. Um, that, I don't remember being aware of that. Yeah, I remember, like, you know, being told that and what I went to is for what passed off as a school, uh, you know, and, and, and finding out <laughs> what, what that did was. did you go to? Uh, that's a long story. Oh but <laughs> but, uh, but I remember that. I also remember, um, I remember... Listeners, if you want to hear more about Brian's <laughs> fucked up school, write us an email and we'll talk about it. Yeah. He, he drops these little breadcrumbs of things <laughs> that he doesn't completely explain, but he wants people to ask him about it. So that's whoa, why he's whoa. doing, he's baiting you to ask him about it. So no. show at sexandsciencehour.com. If you ask, he'll tell the, the rest of the story. No, no, no. Okay. For now, he's just teasing. No, if I want people to ask me, generally I'll say, but you can email me if I want if you want to learn more. Oh, about so that. you didn't say that this time, so you no, don't really want no. them to ask. Most of the time, I say that sort okay, of stuff. Whatever. Most of the time, I say that sort of sort of stuff is because I have, for various reasons over the years, have learned to talk with disclaimers. It's terrible because it it takes up all of this time when explaining things or when talking <laughs> about things. But most people on, or a lot of people on the internet, or perhaps people in, in various, uh, you know, circles that, that we frequent, I'll, I'll put it that way are so fucking pedantic. <laughs> like they're so ridiculously pedantic that like, I have to be careful. Like if I, if, when I say school, I, I better not, you know, like, uh, I, you know, something I, I hate the word, whatever. But I feel the absolute need to say and whatever else or and whatever at the end of most statements that I make. That way I can say, no, 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 I said whatever or I said kind of school because otherwise people are like, what? Did you go to this? Yeah, I mean, it, it, oh, man, it, it drives me nuts. Anyway, say, saying that. Wow. <laughs> I remember Challenger. I remember Nancy Reagan's breast. Because okay. she had breast she cancer. She had breast cancer. I remember that. And, and you saw the boob, or you saw like a model of a breast Yeah, I saw on an TV, animation. Right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, on, on ABC News or whatever, uh, you know, about that. And that left a big impression on you. Kind of did. It's the first one I ever sort of saw. Talk about the boob know? tube, right? Yeah. Uh, I mean, outside That's of my mom. the boob tube. Yeah, right. <laughs> anyway, uh, and then I do remember, this might be the earliest one. This was big news. I remember when Jason Todd, who was the second Robin to Batman. Okay. In the comic books, I remember when the Joker killed him and folks, spoiler alert. I mean, 30, it happened 30 years ago. Uh, sorry. You know, if I spoiled that for you, that's the other thing I can't stand is people that hate spoilers, bunch of terrorists holding the world hostage from talking about what's on their mind. Well, you know, Brian, they're not literally terrorists. You, what do you think they're doing? Like blowing things up and screaming Allah Akbar? Nope, but I don't think that fits under the definition of terrorist, but that's very funny what you said. <laughs> so, <laughs> I was just trying yeah. to make fun of the no, what I, you said earlier. Yeah, actually. no, I think you're right. But, uh, but, but yeah, they are, they are holding tongues hostage. 
So anyway, anyway, those are the stories. Woo! From rem- remembering the past to predicting the future, you sent in this interesting story, which you didn't remember. Ironically, you remember when the Robin was killed in the Batman comics when you were a kid. Yes. When you were like four years old. But you didn't remember sending in this article for show prep this week. <laughs> yeah, I don't remember this at all. This so. is... <laughs> <laughs> oh, how our memory plays tricks on us, yeah. But this is from Gizmodo. The world's oldest computer may have been used to predict the future by George Dvorsky. And this is filed under archaeology, which is your favorite subject, Brian. This is true. Now, this is, of course, referring to the Antikythera mechanism, and which has, some people have called it, maybe it was this old computer. It was found in a shipwreck near Crete, which is an island off of the coast of Greece, mm-hmm. in uh, 1901. And it appears to be very advanced. It's like a, it's a, it's this metal box that has all these gears and knobs and it looks for all intents and purposes like a computer, but nobody knows what the hell it did. Yeah. So just real quick, this is coming from io right? No, Gizmodo. It, or Gizmodo, kind of same same, same family. Same house. Yeah, uh, yeah George Dvorsky is a very smart guy, not a conspiracy They're theorist or, or ancient alien kind of guy at all, because mm-hmm. this gets brought up by those kinds of people very Oh, often. yes, it does. That's yeah. right. I just want to be, I mean... Aliens Divor- gave us the first computer. Right. I think George Dvorsky, he's some, some degree of a physicist. I don't know the specifics, but okay. I mean, just, just a very, very smart guy, and he writes often. Uh, I, 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 I could be wrong about some of the details there. But anyway, uh, let's be clear that this is, when we say this is a computer... It is something that does computations. It is not something that that has, you know, silicon. Well, well, Brian, that yeah. is the well, Brian, that is the definition of a computer. Huh? <laughs> something that does com- computations. Yeah, I love it. Technically, yeah. Right? <laughs> <laughs> I'm just being a pedantic nerd character. Anyway, so <laughs> a decades long investigation, says George, into the 2000 year old device is shedding new light onto this mysterious device, including the revelation that it may have been used for more than just astronomy. So, yeah, astronomy is one of the things people claim it like calculating the length of years and when planets would yeah. appear in the sky and where yeah. they would be and stuff. Right. It's a bunch of gears. And the yeah. theory goes is that when it was a complete box and there's been computer models made up of this because, you know, there's, there's not, it's not an intact piece by any means what yeah. they found. It was uh, in a shipwreck. I mean, right, right. That's where it gets its name is from the Island of Antikythera mm-hmm. off of Greece. Uh, and, uh, yeah. And, and like the theory goes is that it actually had a, like a, a setup of the solar system. Um, and that that's what the gears were moving right. were the various, you know, celestial bodies. And anyway, go ahead. <laughs> the Antikythera mechanism is one of the most fascinating and important archaeological discoveries ever made, he says, one that reveals the remarkable technological and engineering capabilities of ancient Greeks, as well as their excellent grasp of astronomy. This clo- Now, I thought it wasn't, this is me breaking in, I thought it wasn't completely certain that it was used like what it was used for. I thought it was hypothesized to maybe have been used for astronomy, but it may have been something else. I guess that's what the article is about. Yeah, the article is now but claiming he's making it that sound they like know. it was definitely for astronomy. So anyway, this clock-like assembly, he says, of bronze gears and displays was used to predict lunar and solar eclipses along with the positions of the sun, moon, and planets. It wasn't programmable in the modern sense, but it's considered the world's first analog computer. Dating back to around 60 BC, nothing quite like it would appear for another millennium. I, I will question that date because I know some have put it back to third century BCE. Okay. So it might be much older and that's important, but go ahead. Not that much older. 
Yeah, but I mean, 200 years. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That, that, that can change things. <laughs> That's true. Since its discovery at the bottom of the Mediterranean, scientists have sought to understand its purpose. No user manual exists, <laughs> but more than a dozen pieces of classical literature make mention of similar devices. Scientists are having to figure it out by looking at it both inside and out. Well, that was a weird read. Scientists are having to figure it out by looking at it both inside and out. Oh, God. Narrator, professional here. Yesterday, in an event held at the Katerina Lascaritis Historical Foundation Library in Greece, an international team of researchers announced the results of a decades-long investigation into the technological relic. Their analysis reaffirms much of what we already know about the antikytheric mechanism, while also providing some tantalizing new details. The machine's physical parts are reasonably well understood, so in an effort to learn more about its intended function, the researchers took a deeper look into the tiny inscriptions meticulously etched onto the outer surfaces of its 82 surviving fragments. Some of these letters measure just 1.2 millimeters, one twentieth of an inch across, and are engraved on the inside covers and visible front and back sections of the device. To do it, the scientists use cutting-edge imaging techniques in including x-ray scanning. The original investigation was intended to see how the mechanism works, and that was very successful, said team member Mike Edmonds, a professor of astrophysics at Cardiff University. What we hadn't real- re- realized was that the modern techniques that were being used would allow us to read the text much better, both on the outside of the mechanism and on the inside, than had been done before. The researchers described the machine as a kind of philosopher's instructional device. The new analysis confirms that the mechanism displayed planets while also showing the position of the sun and moon in the sky. But while the device had a definite astronomical purpose, it appears the machine was also used to see what the future holds. Now, this is the title of the article. The researchers suspect this because some of the inscriptions on the device refer to the color of a forthcoming eclipse. We're not sure how to interpret this to be fair, but it could hark back to suggestions that the color of an eclipse was some sort of omen or signal, signal, says Edmonds. And now this is interesting because wasn't there just like a strawberry moon or something just this summer and there hadn't been one in 17 years? Well, I think there was one in the 60s. -hmm. Uh, Yeah, I mean, there's... Yeah, I think they're referring to the general idea that the various colors of... uh, uh, Yeah, like of the moon or whatever else is, is indicative of something happening. It was not a research tool, something that an astronomer would use to do computations or even an astrologer to do prognostications, but something that you would use to teach about the cosmos and our place in the cosmos, said Jones. It's like a textbook of astronomy, as it was understood then, which connected the movements of the sky and the planets with the lives of ancient Greeks and their environment. Yeah, I think so. This is where like that earlier dating comes in, Mm -hmm. because there, there's a there's a little bit of a problem with the antikythera mechanism is that like some of it, it, it based upon you know like 3d modeling of how exactly this thing worked obviously again we don't have a complete piece of this uh some of its some of its planetary kind of predictions or settings mm-hmm. are off like mars well well you know. i mean it, it, that doesn't <laughs> take perfect right it doesn't take away from the brilliant engineering like that that Nobody can understand yeah. how did anybody figure this out? Because like it said, nothing like this would exist in Europe yeah. until like the 1400s. Um, but it was off. And the re- and if it, so, you know, what you don't know, like it kind of the article mentions, what you don't know about Greek astronomy at the time, we do know about Greek astronomy uh, like in, I don't know, like, like the second century BCE, because he had the time of Ptolemy where he better gauged 
uh, the, you know, the movements of the heavens and all this. And so that's why I think a lot of people or that's why I think now the guess is, is that this is probably from, you know, the third century BCE, because if they had the knowledge of Ptolemy, uh, you know, hundred some odd years later, that the model would have been accurate. Like it, it would have been far more accurate. It would have been, would have been uh, very, you know, very different. So yeah, it, it could have been used to predict the future in various ways and to tell people things that are coming up. Uh, I, I think that's very interesting, uh, but it, it would, as we understand it now, I think it would have failed at its job. Okay. So for now for the fun stuff, who built it, Brian? Well, we Aliens? don't know. Yeah, right. <laughs> well, some people like to claim that because it is so damned advanced for its time. Uh, but n- nobody knows. I, Who I do mean, you think? Give me oh, a, give me boy. your best guess because we're almost out of time for this. Well, segment. I mean, that's the thing. If it's inaccurate in, in how it predicted the movements of the planets and mm-hmm. all that. It, it, it couldn't have been built by aliens. Well, right. Because aliens have... would have known, right? Like <laughs> aliens right. would have been precise. <laughs> right, right. Or, you know, Those one of... aliens are damn pedantic, aren't yeah. they? <laughs> <laughs> well, one of my more, you know, uh, fun theories that I like to think about is the idea of advanced human civilizations that existed, you know, uh, before the wall of history. Yeah. But, you know, you would think they would know better, um, like that they would have at least have known as well as Ptolemy would have known or Kepler. Yeah. I don't know. It's it's pretty interesting. Um, I feel like maybe the first segment of Sex and Science Hour has turned into a little bit of ancient aliens yeah. and Yeti or not, but <laughs> well, you can let us know what you think. I think people like it by and large. So. Oh, yeah. And yeah. if you I, don't, I'll be happy to give you a refund on your free podcast. That's what I always say. <laughs> right. Well, I, I mean, if anything, we kind of debunked that this is like, it's advanced. It's brilliant for what it was designed, mm-hmm. but it's not I so don't... perfect as to have been designed by aliens from another world. Right. It's, it's, it may be wildly inaccurate. All right. Stay tuned, folks, because next segment, we're going to Nibiru. No, not really. Um, <laughs> we're going to another article. Oh, my God. That was so terrible. I feel like I should cut that out, but I'm not going to. What, <laughs> what about going to Nibiru? Yeah, you didn't even laugh. I thought you were going to well, laugh at that. Hey, Come on. I you need know, your support here. Uh, what? I, I, I my jokes. Okay, I just read about today that there is a planet, and, and you know, you mentioned Nibiru, which Nibiru is this this hypothesized planet X. Yeah, planet has X, a long or, elliptical orbit, and only swings into our solar system every three thousand years. And there may be aliens there that visited the Sumerians, and blah 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 blah. Called the Anunnaki, right? Yeah. Now, that, that's very in succinct. Search of gold the, and created humans to mine gold for that. It, it's a rabbit hole. Yeah, yeah, it's very succinct. All done by Zachary Sitch, and I think it's important to give him credit. Uh, whether he was right or wrong. Uh, but you know, what's funny is, is that that guy, I mean, that was, that had been theorized, but with the book, the 12th planet, which came out in the sixties and had been, has been laughed off forever, but now, you know, they're finding exoplanets and all this stuff all over the place that do have these massively like crazy, Mm -hmm. um, orbits orbits. In fact, they found one today that has an orbit around three stars. Whoa. Like its orbit is greater than that of Pluto. <laughs> okay. Not, it's not in our solar system. It's in another. Oh, that was, was going to be my next question. Yeah. 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 It's in another solar system. But like this thing circles around three stars. Now, I mean, oh. when you bring up Nibiru, because that's what a lot of people would say. It's like, well, how does life exist on Nibiru when it's out on its one of its really wild swings where there's no sun? Well, guess what? You know, there, there could be planets where it actually it has such a wild swing that it touches on three of them over time. Uh, I mean, you know. Or there could be a heat source from inside the planet, or they could be, you know, seeding their atmosphere with gold flakes. 
like Al Gore said in the 1990s. <laughs> oh, that's yeah, and, mined by by unsuspecting humans, slaves that they created through genetic engineering. Yeah, yeah. Bottom line is, is that it could be Brian, right? It could be. Well, I'm I'm just saying <laughs> that that to write off some of the more wildly scientific claims of the past uh, is being shown foolhardy today. Because actually we're finding out, no, that's entirely possible. And no apologies are ever made, you know, to these people that, that were laugh, laughed at by the scientific community. Yeah. And that's that's the worst part. Fine. You know, it's science. We find out things are right or wrong. I mean, that's the beauty of science. The crucible of truth. That's wonderful. But let's dole out some apologies, you know, after we laugh at people and you find out that they were they could have been right. Anyway, <laughs> I'm not saying Sitchin was right. I'm just saying that some of his theories weren't so crazy. Well, he was one of the first people to translate, to even like attempt to translate the Sumerian texts, right? And he yeah, got a lot of it, like a lot of the modern current experts who have redone his work that he did agree with him on a lot of it, right? Yeah, or disagree. I mean, it, they disagree on some key yeah, words, yeah. right? Like Anunnaki, right? Like those who came from the heavens, right? And or. I, or Nibiru, even they get they disagree on some very key words that change the meaning of the story yes. completely, right? Like, <laughs> like it's the difference between oh yeah, aliens came down from another planet, and people came from a faraway land. Well, uh, right. Well, you're kind of getting into one of my theories, but but yeah. Anyway, we don't need to t to talk about that. But yes, there are disagreements within it. He was part of a very small group at the time that you know you couldn't. Totally disprove what he was saying because most people couldn't read Sumerian, but right. And anyway, yeah, I mean, it's very interesting. We'll probably never know the answers, but it doesn't stop people from speculating about it. Makes for a hell of a podcast. <laughs> so, okay, speaking of speculation, here's a fascinating story that I have no explanation for. I'm just going to read it because it's really interesting. Okay, high levels of education linked to heightened brain tumor risk. Gliomas in particular, which is a kind of brain tumor of the glial cells, the cells which support and nourish the neurons, uh, gliomas more in particular more common among university-educated uh, people, large observational study shows. Okay, so break that down. So you've me. heard the head. Okay, so basically the headline is saying a large study, observational study. Yes showed that people who have more education, go to college, get PhDs, and so forth, are at higher risk for developing brain tumors, and specifically a certain type of brain tumor. Wow. I, I already have a guess as to why this is, but, you know. What's what, your guess? Stress. Stress. Just stress? I mean, I mean, yeah, that's not a bad guess. I would yeah. say. I mean, but but poor people have more stress too. They just maybe have different kinds of stress. Well, that, we talked about type A person. I mean, maybe it's like type A's like are more likely to go to college and get brain tumors. But I don't want to start in on speculation just yet. Let all right, me, let let's me read do you this. a little bit about it. So, this is from Science Daily, and they are summarizing um, another study. They're writing about a study in a journal. So a university degree is linked to a heightened risk of developing a brain tumor, suggests a large observational study published online in the Journal of Epidemiology and Community Health. And this is just recent. This is from June 2016, so hot mm. off the presses. Uh, I guess you can't say that anymore with the internet, right? Because there's no presses. No, you might as well. Like, like <laughs> hot off the blog pages. Well, you know, like Maybe when you just click the publish button. <laughs> when celebrity, when when uh, uh, you know, videos of celebrities having sex come out, what do they call them? 
sex tapes. Right. Even though it's not a There's tape. There's no yeah, tapes. That's true. There's no that's tapes true. involved. It's, yeah. it's just part of the cultural, uh, you know, morass. Yeah. So, uh, <laughs> and yeah, nude photos. It's not a photograph. It's a picture. Right. Yeah. That That's a whole other thing. Like it, it's, well, I guess it's still kind of a product of, well, anyway, photons, but. Yeah. I mean, I don't know. Yeah. But yeah, you, good point about the sex tapes. Anyway. Um, so gliomas in particular, which we just talked about, were the most common, were more common among people who had studied at university for at least three years than they were among those who didn't go on to higher education, the data show. The researchers base their findings on more than 4.3 million Swedes. Swedes. Swedish people. The and they love to do they love to do epidemiological observational studies on Swedish because they're white. They're, because it's a homogeneous population. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. And you know, and and also like they have a very socialized healthcare system so there's a lot of studies that get done because they have all this data on people and their people are followed from cradle to grave and all their records are in one place and so well forth. a lot of that like you know western slash eastern europe is a great place to do a lot of studies mm-hmm. because you cannot not only study like you can really get into um uh, the the nurture half of nature versus nurture yeah because the eastern Bloc, you know we were talking about soviet union earlier i mean you had decades where people lived in a completely a different world. Yeah, just you know? a very tough life, yeah. Yeah, and so you can compare that, you know, when you when you look at the Swedes or anybody in that area, you know, you contrast it with uh, you know, Ukraine or whatever. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, you you end up with some very some very interesting and unique uh, opportunities for for research and data. Yeah, absolutely. I think we've read one I want to say we've read one recently, maybe that was on your show Sovereign Tech, I'm not sure, but anyway, um back to this one. The researchers based their findings on more than 4.3 million Swedes, all of whom were born between 1911 and 1961 and living in Sweden in 1991. So these, this has been, they took data, basically, they took old data and looked back at it. Mm-hmm. Um, they were monitored between 1993 and 2010 to see if they developed a primary brain tumor. And when what that means, a primary brain tumor, is the tumor came from cells of your brain. It, it wasn't like a breast cancer that metastasized to your brain. That's, right. That's a primary tumor. Okay. So they monitored people to see if they developed a primary brain tumor, and they looked at information on educational attainment, disposable income, marital status, and occupation. Uh, that was obtained from national insurance, labor market, and national census data. So all that data the government keeps on you. Mm-hmm. During the monitoring period, 1.1 million people died and more than 48,000 em- emigrated, so left the country. But 5,735 of the men and 7,101 of the women developed a brain tumor. So that's about 12 about 13,000 people, give or take, out of 1.1 million. That's okay. a pretty low rate. So that's why they had to get such a big sample size, because brain tumors aren't super common, I guess. Thankfully. Yes, thankfully. Men with university-level education lasting at least three years were 19% more likely to develop a glioma, a type of cancerous tumor arising in glial cells that surround and support neurons in the brain, than men whose educational attainment didn't extend be- beyond the period of compulsory schooling of nine years. So that's a pretty big increase in risk. I mean, can you do a quick piece of math for me, Brian? Sure. What is 13,000 out of 1.1 million? What percent is that? I'm trying to figure out what percent got a brain tumor. So what is it again? 13,000? 13,000 out of 1.1 million. Mm. And while you do that, um, we'll 
we'll do a little Jeopardy song. Do 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 do. Oh, you're you're doo-doo. killing me. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I'll just stop. We'll pause it through the magic of podcasting. Uh, yeah, sorry, it's coming up now. Okay. <laughs> uh, no, no, it didn't come up at all. <laughs> oh shit. Okay, we're now we're gonna pause it through the magic of podcasting. Stay tuned. So we're back. <laughs> the number that got brain tumors was it looked to be about one point one. Eight percent. Yeah, I should know that. Ten thousand into a million. Anyway, yeah, go ahead. Which was higher than I um, expected, but um, anyway, yeah. Um, so a twenty percent increase in a risk of one percent to begin with ah. is one is one point one point two percent, right? Right. So yeah, so that's about how much it increases your risk. So not a huge increase, but it's definitely it was statistically significant, as they say later in their study. So um, among women, the magnitude of risk was 23% higher for glioma and 16% higher for meningioma, a type of mostly non-cancerous brain tumor arising in the layers of tissue, the meninges that surround and protect the brain and spinal cord, than it was for women who didn't go on to higher education. So again, they're finding these trends. Anyone who goes to college has a higher risk of developing more than one different type of brain tumor. Taking account of potentially influential factors such as marital status and disposable income only marginally affected the size of the risk and only among the men. So that's one thing they try to do in epidemiological studies. They try to, like, subtract out the effect from, like, smoking and, you know what I mean? Like, yeah, well. At least I'd hope they do religion. No, not really. I don't don't think there's a lot of studies that show what the effect from religion is. But they they try to do things, like, correct for what they already know. So, like, if they already know that smoking um, increases the risk for all brain tumors, they'll try to, like, correct for that. So even with correcting for everything that they knew about, that they can control, there was still a higher risk among people who went to college for getting brain tumors. Um, high levels of disposable income were associated with a 14% heightened risk of getting glioma among men. So you may have more money, but you have a higher risk of getting <laughs> brain cancer. Um, you're going to need it to pay for your brain cancer. Um, but had no bearing on the risk of either meningioma or acoustic neuroma. Acoustic neuroma is is a weird type of um, cancer. It's it's on it's a tumor that grows on the op the um, not optic the acoustic nerve, which is the nerve that goes from your ear to your okay. brain. Um, and so that, usually how those are not those are not too deadly. Those All are right. really not that bad, especially compared to glioma. Glioma is really bad mm-hmm. usually. Um, so, but it uh, let's see, a, disposable income raised the risk of getting some types of brain cancer, but not others. Um, it didn't have any effect on the women. So here's another thing. Occupation also seemed to in- influence risk for men and women. Compared with men in manual roles, professional and managerial roles, intermediate and high non-manual jobs, were associated with a 20% heightened risk of glioma and a 50% heightened risk of acoustic neuroma. Stress. I really, I think that's it. And you think I don't, it's a stress associated with college and being a manager? Yeah, I don't think people realize just the, the complete lack of stress. And I think people think the exact opposite. The lack of stress in doing manual labor. Like, like just how peaceful and like how, how centered, like it, it can, like there is something, you know, when you're working a field or something like this, I mean, there is a certain piece to that, uh, you, you know, that, I know people think, oh, that's hard work. All you're really, you know, taking it to your body and everything. And it's like, yeah, you are. But, you know, your brain is is really like, I mean, it, it's actually kind of a 
kind of a good thing? Yeah. Health-wise? This is really interesting. They said they couldn't... They basically said they couldn't find any lifestyle factors to point to. There was no information they could get. They had no explanation for this. Well, it was I'll, strictly an observational study. They didn't have a clue why. I mean, first blush, and I say this half half joking, mm-hmm. uh, don't go to school and humans aren't meant to be managed. <laughs> you know? well, I agree with both of those statements. There is one way to interpret it. Yeah, yeah but I'm not going to say that it's scientifically backed by this. I'm, I, I'm just saying. I just think it's fascinating. I mean... Now, I will say, like, we read, we just read this, so now our listeners are biased because they've just heard this, but higher education is actually associated with lowering your risk of all kinds of other diseases. Mm. So, yeah, but you know, I, the higher someone's level of education, the likelier they are to have a higher level of income and to have health insurance, and that just basically improves outcomes across the board, the less likely they are to smoke, and, you know, it improves health outcomes across the board for anything. But it's that's like a I think that's like a class thing, you know what right. I mean? Right. Well, that's the thing is then, but then managerial jobs and going to college aren't really the benefit the beneficiary aspect. You know, it, it's having more disposable income or having insurance, right? Yeah, it's a cluster of factors that tend to go together, though. So how do you separate them out, right? Yeah, yeah. Well, I wonder if those studies, like like this one, apparently tried to separate a lot of those. You know, a lot of very very yeah, factors. Tried and yeah, tried. Uh, and so, you know, well, did those other ones, you know, take those factors into consideration, uh, you know, in all of this? Yeah. So, Brian, you're going with stress. I don't know about stress because I, f- I definitely think poor people and working class people experience the you know, there's there's tr- there's studies that try to measure people's stress levels mm-hmm. and across the board, poor people are more stressed out. Like, well, there's actually like a like a curve where if you don't have enough money to make your basic bills and stuff like that, then, yeah, you're stressed out. If you don't have enough money to provide for your kids, you're stressed out. If you have like an optimal amount of money somewhere in the middle, you tend to be happier. If you have like every every basic covered but not making too much money, then you're happy. And if you have a ton of money, then you tend to be more stressed out. Yeah, I mean, poor, you know, the the opposite of not going to school or having white collar jobs isn't poor. Um, Yeah, that's true. Like, I I mean, that's and I I understand your point. But then also, you know, poor like that, that also depends on your culture. Like, it depends Mm -hmm. on where you are uh, as as far as like, I mean, there's people that aren't aren't materially wealthy by any means, but then also they're not exactly poor either. Uh, Yeah. And I guess you could say in Sweden, even like working class people they have a lot of socialism and so yeah. their basic needs might be provided for in a way that poor people in America have to stress about but they don't right. or working class basically yeah and not to say that that their level the level of care that they get out of such government programs is is good, is, is good <laughs> but they're not worried about providing um, it for themselves <laughs> yeah but it does make for an interesting case or it does make for an interesting uh, you know uh, research example uh, to, you know to go with yeah um so yeah i I don't know. I, I'm I'm just tossing that out there. Uh, that 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 I I think there's just and and there is you know my myself like I, I've been in positions where I was in charge. I hate it. Like I I hate it so much. And because there is a ton of stress and like you know I there's points where the decisions you literally feel it in your head. Now that's not cancer, but 
Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it is a pain like in the Like you head. get a headache from having to make decisions. Well, not right? from having to make decisions, from having to tell other people what to do. I mean, everybody makes decisions every day of their life. Yeah, and, that is and, a know. stress. Because you can't, con- at the, at the, at the, underneath it all, you really can't control what other people no. do. But managerial duties is like trying to control people. And it's just like enough to make you scream. So. Yeah, I, I hate it. Yeah. Uh, like even when I was, when I was in the military, I never went above specialist. I yeah. was like, I, I do not want to be promoted. I'm not interested in being in charge. I know. I can barely manage my own executive functions for myself in my own <laughs> life. I don't need to be worrying about anybody else. So I thought that was really interesting. It is. Um, even though we don't have like a good answer. I Maybe that's a theme for, maybe we should call the show like we don't have the answer or something. Like Stay out of college. <laughs> or don't go white collar for your College gave me health. cancer. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> college gave me a brain tumor. That's right. It's a little too edgy. So anyway, if you died of a brain tumor because you went to college um you might have some genes that turn on after you die now this is this was going around social media a lot this week okay um this is also from a write-up from gizmodo by george Dvorsky. so we're giving him a lot of uh publicity this week so anyway hundreds of genes spring back to life in the days after death this is so weird so wait we're not talking about levi's no, oh, genetic okay. genes. All right, got it. All right. We assume, says George, that all biological processes come to an end when we die. But new research shows that many genes remain active for up to four days following clinical death. These zombie genes can't bring a person back to life, but this discovery has serious implications for forensic and forensics and organ donor recipients. Now, you know, I want to stop you right there. Yep. There is a fascinating point inside of that. Okay. And um, I don't I don't know how well you were taught this uh, uh-huh. growing up. Yep. We, we both grew up, unfortunately, in... in uh, that, that religion that we want That religion, yeah. yeah. Okay. <laughs> Begins with a J, you know. No, you don't. You ruined it. Well, there's a lot of J religions. What? Jehovah's Jainism? Witnesses? Oh, okay. Jehovah yeah, there Witnesses? are. <laughs> there's, there's tons of them. Okay. But anyway, okay, fair, fair. You got me. Uh, within that, <laughs> uh, there is the, the idea is is that a body isn't really dead uh-huh. until after the third day. Ah, yeah, and that's, that in that's the morning, all of that stuff has to happen after the third day. Mm-hmm. Uh, in fact, in Christianity, not obviously not the religion we were talking about. It's a particular miracle. That Jesus, that Jesus was raised, resurrected after three days. Well, no, no, that, that Jesus raised Lazarus on the fourth day, oh. because that means he didn't take advantage of this, this, these, these zombie genes. Right. right. <laughs> <laughs> Half of what I said is true. Uh, but <laughs> what? Which I'm confused now. After <laughs> the claim of of never mind, just go. No, tell me, tell me. <laughs> I was just saying that. Look, I don't believe that Jesus raised anybody from the dead. Oh, okay. I see. I gotcha. Okay. <laughs> or, or that he, he he knew anything about zombie genes. So you're saying that perhaps some re- some religions understood something about this period of you know where the bo- the body is grinding to a halt after well, the clinical death occurs the heart I, stops it it raises my eyebrow because it it is interesting that i mean there's a lot of with a lot of religions uh that where they seem to have some very interesting medical knowledge that they just shouldn't have and the best answer you can usually give is just that they their powers of observation because they weren't staring at computer screens and smartphones were just so great and they were, I, I would, I would agree with that, uh, that they just, they knew, 
you know, they, they couldn't explain it. They didn't have, you know, scientific, uh, uh, ways of laying it all out, but they just knew. And so, uh, so maybe the zombie gene business. You mean like when religions would tell their practitioners to like practice monogamy and like wash their hands after touching a dead body and not go, not like shit where they eat and things like that. Yeah. Or to shave and, and be quarantined mm. for weeks, uh, all these different things that, that they just shouldn't have known. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I mean, and that's just a couple of examples. And to not eat certain meats that might be contaminated with parasites and things like that. Precisely. Right? Uh, it, it's, it's awfully strange. So anyway, go ahead. Aliens. Aliens. <laughs> I'm not saying it's aliens. <laughs> and I'm really not. <laughs> but go, go ahead. A pair of new studies, says George, good old George, both of which are still undergoing peer review, and I think they're actually out now and published um, at this point, are teasing our concepts of death and what goes on after our bodies die. University of Washington biologist Peter Noble and his pals his co-authors maybe, have shown that certain parts of the body remain active even after the rest of it has come to a grinding halt. In the future, these insights could be used by scientists who are seeking to improve the way donated organs are preserved and by forensic investigators seeking to determine when a person was killed. As Mitch Leslie points out in Science Magazine, previous work on human cadavers demonstrated that some genes remain active after death, but we had no idea as to the extent of this strange phenomenon. By analyzing the tissue of recently deceased animals, Noble and his colleagues managed to pinpoint hundreds of genes that were still functioning in the days, yes, days, following death. If the same thing applies to us, and if there's, and there's no reason to believe it doesn't, it could change the way we perceive the recently deceased and how we define death. In the first two studies, the researchers sought to determine which genes out of a thousand might still be functioning in zebrafish and mice in the immediate days following death. To their surprise, the researchers found that hundreds of genes sprung back to life. Not only that, the activity of some of these genes actually increased. Most of these genes eventually gave up after about 24 hours, but some remained active for as much as four days after death. That's surprising to say the least. Right, because when you're dead, you're not getting oxygen. Right. Well, at least for right. a big organism with it has a circulatory system. I mean, you can fart, but <laughs> well, that doesn't require much effort. That's true. It requires more effort not to fart, I would say. Yeah. Than to than to fart. <laughs> the majority of these zombie genes were not random in terms of function. Each of them play an important role when an animal experiences some kind of trauma or illness. For example, some genes that were ramped up are responsible for stimulating inflammation and the immune system, as well as for countering stress. Some genetic activity, like a gene that's responsible for embryonic development, baffled the scientists. Noble suspects that this gene becomes active. Noble suspects that this gene becomes active because the cellular environment in dead bodies must somehow resemble those for- found in embryos. I guess low oxygen, maybe. I don't know. Um, importantly, several genes that promote cancer can also become active. This may explain why many organ donor recipients develop cancer. This tidbit of information could help scientists develop better methods of organ preservation prior to transplantation. The second study, also co-authored by Nobel, shows that similar assessments of postmortem genetic activity could be used in criminal and civil investigations. Forensic teams could take genetic samples at murder scenes, for example, to get a better estimate of the time of death. As noted, these two papers have yet to appear, uh, blah, 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 and genetic evaluations were not performed on human cadavers. Uh-huh. They're just extrapolating this data from animals to humans. Further research will be required before we draw too many conclusions about these fascinating studies. Well, Dr. Murphy, draw me some conclusions because I'm fascinated. Yeah, I mean, I, I think it's really interesting. It kind of brings up the question of like, 
what is dead? Like, what does that mean? Mm-hmm. You know, we kind of define it culturally as when a person's heart stops beating, when their brain function ceases. But genes are still active. The cells of their body are still active. There's, they've lost some kind of connection or cohesiveness. The ability to talk and walk and think, the things that we maybe think of philosophically making us human. But there's still life going on at the cellular level, at least. Does that mean there's an afterlife? No. Okay. Why don't we ask the Janes, though? Let's ask the Janes. <laughs> ask the Janish rabbi. <laughs> <laughs> this is sex and science. Those Janish rabbis. I blew it. I completely blew it. <laughs> uh, if you didn't know, now you know. Well, I mean, this kind of, you Speaking, know. Speaking, this leads perfectly into our next topic. Okay, then I I won't say what else. Because if you grew up in the Janish faith like we did, (laughs) um, you might need to utilize foreskin restoration. (laughs) Janes don't cut off foreskins. No, but uh, and actually, other religions that begin with the J do. You know, in all seriousness, I could see the Janes using that information of zombie genes to bolster like their perceptions of the afterlife, what happens after you die and all yeah. that. I could, I could re- a lot of people would jump on that. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I mean, it, it's, it kind of falls in line, I think with the, like what a lot of people say how, uh, well, I mean, it, it's, it's a, a truth within science, within mm-hmm. physics that, you know, energy doesn't disappear. You know, you, you can't destroy energy. It doesn't go away. It goes somewhere, you know, like matter, right. matter can't be created or destroyed. Right. Exactly. And, and, Thus, you know, energy is a part of that, that, that whole equation. Where does that energy go? Is that energy the soul? Blah, blah, blah. I mean, I'm being very broad here. No, that energy is not the soul. I I am with you. (laughs) I am totally with you. Uh, But, you know, people go, go that far. You know what I mean? And, and I, you know, I think like a lot of people, when, when we learn about death, we expect like all functions to cease. But like when you when you kill an animal like to eat it or for whatever reason, mm-hmm. you know, um, there's there's a show that we watch called Naked and Afraid. And it's yes. about people who get dropped off in a remote location and they're survivalists and they have to survive for 21 days with no food, clothes or water. They have to find everything in nature. So oftentimes they hunt and they get little lizards and things like that. And sometimes they'll be cooking a dead lizard on the fire and the leg will move. And it looks like the lizard is is moving its leg or maybe trying to get away. Right. And that's not actually the lizard's brain sending a signal to the leg that says, you know, contract, because the brain function is is done. You know, in some cases, the head is cut off. So how could that possibly be, right? Yeah. It's not even coming from the spinal cord. It's just that the heat of the fire is contracting the muscle in the leg, and it's making it appear that the leg is moving. Right. And it, it looks a lot like the function we know of when the lizard's brain sends a signal to the leg that says run, and it moves. But it's not the same thing. It just looks like it. So I think people are freaked out when they see things like that mm-hmm. because they're not used to it. They think like when, oh, when something's dead, it, it should not be able to do anything like move, grow hair, you know, right. that kind of thing. It shouldn't be able to do any of those functions associated with life. But yet those functions can be mimicked or copied in some ways by things that don't mean that the organism is alive. Yeah. So... Yeah, I mean, it's. I guess death maybe occurs on a little bit of a spectrum. I hate to say because now everything's a spectrum, right? Gender is a spectrum. Attraction is a spectrum. Is a, yeah. a spectrum. Everything is a spectrum. But um, maybe death is a spectrum too. 
you know, like you lose some functions, then you lose more functions. And it's, it's got to be a one way street, you know, up to a certain point, mm-hmm. or after a certain point, maybe up to up to a threshold, it's reversible. You know, you're moving along the death spectrum towards total death, and then you can go back at, until a certain point where you've reached the point of no return and you can't go back. Yeah. Because there's certainly people who have had near-death experiences and things like that. Which aren't yeah. real. But Well, yeah, I, I don't tend to believe them. I mean, oh, all right, correction. You know, the experience happened. The supernatural. They, they perceived something yes, weird. I believe right. they had a weird dream. I don't believe that that an angel took them out of their body and they led them down the tunnel of light. Exactly. You know, I believe it was a neurological thing happening in their brain. Right. It, not to minimize, I'm sure it was a very powerful experience for them, but mm-hmm. it doesn't mean God, angels, so forth. It doesn't mean supernatural. I'm not. Let's put it this way: I'm not convinced that anything supernatural happened there. Same here. Okay. Glad we're on the same page. All right. Now, back to the Janish faith. Um, (laughs) (laughs) uh, We got an email from a listener about foreskin restoration. Uh Now, I kind of hesitate to talk about this. We've we've gotten emails like this before. You know, there's another podcast I listen to called Weird Medicine with Dr. Steve. It's It's a great, funny medical podcast. Okay. And he's always joking because... You know, one time somebody called a show. It's like a medical call-in show where you can ask questions and he'll answer them. And you can ask like embarrassing questions like, I've had a boner that won't go away for four hours. What should I do? And I have constant diarrhea. What should I do? You know, Yeah, it's a very uncensored show. It's completely uncensored. And um, so one time somebody called in and made some kind of comment about foreskin restoration or about circumcision or should I circumcise my kid or something like that. Mm-hmm. And he went through and gave like his opinion based on what he knew. And then he got just barraged by intactivists on Twitter. Nah. And these are anti-circumcision activists. Um, I wouldn't call myself an intactivist because I think it has this ring like MRA or, you know, um, (laughs) men's rights activist or some some other thing that people don't generally like that ends with ist, you know. (laughs) Yeah. But I would say that I would I would never choose to remove a part of a baby boy's body or girl's body. You know, for I would never make that decision unless it was threatening their life somehow. And the foreskin certainly not threatening their life. Right. Exactly. Yeah. I don't think there's any reason for it. I think there's a reason. There is a reason that people have foreskins, just like there's a reason we have big toes and ears and things like that. Absolutely. Evolved for a reason. It has specialized tissue. Yeah. It aids in sexual pleasure later in life for both women and men. So, I mean, there's really... I don't see any good reason to do it. Most of people are motivated by culture and religion and uh, tradition and, oh, because they have these weird justifications of like, well, what if he see what if he sees other boys dicks and it doesn't look the same? Like, how often is he going to be in a situation where he sees other men's dicks? Really? Yeah. And, and is it really going to be that big of a deal if they look a little... I mean, all dicks look different anyway, right? Yeah, like, I mean, even... The, what's the big deal about a piece of skin? Right. I think the chances are greater that, that a circumcision can get messed up. Yes, there are uh, very real risks. It's a medical surgical procedure. Right. And often the way they're done is super barbaric, no anesthetic. The baby boy is strapped to a board, just maybe had a traumatic birth, and they go into shock. They, they scream yeah. until they completely pass out. I mean... They can be, you know, their diapers can be like bloody messes for days. It's horrible. Yeah. I mean, and the, and the reasons, the, the genuine, because I mean, there are, there are times where having a foreskin can actually be a problem, correct? 
Um, yeah, not super common, right. but um, there's a condition called phimosis, which some people justify circumcision with. Right. Phimosis is where the foreskin gets tight around the glands or head of the penis, and it's hard to retract or pull back. Yeah. But there are ways that you can stretch it out if you well, have that problem. Yeah, I mean, um, re- regardless of that, yeah. the bottom line is is that there there are genuine conditions that, that can happen. But the frequency within which these medical conditions can occur with, you know, with the penis or with the foreskin, no one else does something, you know, no other condition is done, has a medical reaction, that being circumcision, right. done across the board, you know, based yep. upon the, the very small percentage yeah. of chances that that's going to happen. We don't take every baby's tonsils out when they're born just because they might get tonsillitis one day, right? right. Or their tonsils might look different than their parents or something, you know, right. like it's silly. Yeah. And, and the, I think it's pretty clear that even if you completely ignore the ethical issue, which we'll touch, we'll get back to in a minute, if you look at the the cost benefit analysis, like if it the the potential harm versus the potential good, mm-hmm. I think the harm clearly outweighs the good. Absolutely, um, yeah. There... From complications from circ- circumcisions, yeah. And also, you can't you can't really put a put a value or a price on sexual pleasure because no one can compare, really, right? I mean, no one can have the experience of growing up and having their sexual development happen with a circumcised penis and also with an uncircumcised penis. You can say like men can get circumcised later in life and they might tell the difference then, but Mm -hmm. nobody can really compare. So we don't know, but it does seem like uncircumcised men have great, greater enjoyment of sex. Not to say that circumcised men can't enjoy sex, but it's, you know, it's not unfathomable to think that something might be taken away from missing a part of your penis that does have nerve endings and is sensitive, right? And then the, the ethical issue, the baby didn't consent. You know, it's mostly parents who are choosing to perform this surgical procedure on their mm-hmm. baby and remove a part of their body. Nobody asked the baby. Right. Because you can ask the baby. and no, and And they all... They have to do it right when the baby's born, right? Because they can't object. They can't protest. They don't even know what the fuck is going on. Yeah. They can't do anything to fight back, right? Like, if they were to do it later in life, most men would be like, oh, hell no. <laughs> you know? <laughs> so they do it when they're a helpless baby and nobody asks them. And that just offends me. Like, I, I, I am deeply offended by that. I want everybody to have the chance to consent as much as possible to things that are done to their body, right? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I think bottom line, there is no good reason to do circumcision. No. There, and statistically, I mean, take your metric. The reason does not exist, and it certainly doesn't exist to do it across the board. Mm-hmm. You know, or like, like, or as a as a default, as a standard, it's it's just ridiculous. Now they are on the decline. I mean, that's the good Thankfully, news. I think yeah. they are becoming less out of vogue or less in vogue. I guess they're falling out of vogue. Um, but regardless, you know, there's a lot of people our age, Brian, we're in our thirties and, um, there's a lot of men our age who are, uh, affected by missing their foreskin and feeling um, hurt about it, you know, feeling like something is missing from them and was taken from them. Sure. I I definitely feel, I mean... Like they wanted a choice in the matter and they didn't get a choice. Yeah. And that's, that's hurtful. Yeah, absolutely. And I would love to know, you know, could, could, I mean, not that I have, you know, not that my sex life is bad or that I have, you know, issues coming or anything like that, but... <laughs> Don't say that. <laughs> well, I'm, no, I'm just saying that like if it... If sex could be even better, 
it's not that sex is bad right now, but if right. it could be uh-huh. even better, why the hell wouldn't I want that? Right. You know, right. and, and exactly. having a foreskin, you know, th- there's that potential. Yeah. Uh, and that sucks that I didn't have any say, you know, in that yeah. matter. I know. So, I'm yeah. sorry. I'm sorry about that. It's, it's really not fair. Yeah. Um, I, I just said don't say that because usually when people say, oh, it's I don't have any problem with my sex life, you know, uh, usually not a then they, they're saying they, they're revealing that they actually do have problems. They just need your approval for some reason, right? But oh, yeah, that's yeah. Not, that's not what you were doing. I, you were explaining. Uh, you were on your way to a point, and I interrupted right. you. Right. That's so, all sorry. right. No, no worries. Um, again, women taking away your choice, those damn women. Duh. No, I'm just kidding about Blame that. Abraham. But some some men do get really resentful of women because usually it's their mom that decided to circumcise them with sure. no information about it. And sure. So anyway. Um, what can uh, we do about this? What, what we can do about this, there is the potential that maybe technology is evolving to the point where um, some of that choice could be given back to men who are who feel wronged and hurt by missing their foreskin. Mm-hmm. And foreskin restoration is the thing that the listener wrote about. That Now, there's surgical and non-surgical methods. This is a long Wikipedia article that he sent us, which I read, which I thought was interesting. Um, but basically, there's surgical and non-surgical methods. Non-surgical usually involves hanging weights on your dick, like the, the remaining skin. Um, there's a little bit of skin that was the base of the foreskin, I guess, or yeah. depending on depending on like how your circumcision particularly went, right. there is sometimes a little bit of skin remaining. And if you hang weights on it and if you gently stretch it over time, it can become big enough that it might be able to cover the glands or the head of the penis. And the big problem, they say, with circumcisions is that usually the foreskin is over the head of the penis and it's moisturizing it and it's keeping yep. it protected from out from like things like rubbing against clothing which eventually desensitizes it dries it out and it becomes this tough outer layer of skin whereas it's really not supposed to be like that mm-hmm. it's supposed to be a sort of a moist you know sensitive piece of skin right um so if you can put the skin back over it somehow it it may revert back to its natural sort of moist, more sensitive state. Now, there's also um, a device that you can basically put a little a little cap, like a satin hood, over the tip of your penis yeah. to attempt to resensitize it and keep it from rubbing against your jeans. No weights required. No hanging things from your cock. Um, yeah, <laughs> you actually tried this, right, Brian? Whoa. Uh, it's called I, the manhood. I, yeah, it's called the manhood. Um, I'm hesitant to talk about it okay. because apparently people think I talk about it all the time, um, and I <laughs> and I that don't. That was just one person, and he was drunk and talking shit about you on a different uh, podcast. Like I've never. <laughs> I think, I think I've talked about it, it twice. You yeah, you haven't talked about it too often. <laughs> <laughs> and that was, it was years just very ago. Memorable, Brian. Yeah, very memorable. And, and just there's some there's some. Uh, uh, social media accounts that like to parody me to some degree and they keep bringing the damn thing up and I haven't talked about it in years. In fact, I haven't worn it in years. Like it's it baffling to me. Uh, so anyway, not, not to, not to make a, a very serious subject that, you know, not to bring levity to it. Um, but yes, I tried out the manhood um, and it's like a satin little piece that you put over your dick, right? Yeah. And I mean, you buy it in different sizes, whatever. And, um, you know, I mean, it, I, I felt there was a difference. 
Uh, the only thing is, is that it, it's it's a pain to... It's like, hard to remember to take it off when you have to pee. <laughs> well, for two things. One, you really need to wear underwear with it. Like, if, uh, and, and I don't always care to wear underwear. Right. Because otherwise, otherwise it can just, you know, if, if your dick's just hanging... I mean, I, I guess this gets into are you a shower or a grower. Um, but there's the good chance that it's just going to slide off, you know, with, with enough friction or whatever. So you need to wear underwear with it. So that was inconvenient for me. Uh, but then also... Um, uh, yeah, you can forget that you're wearing it because it feels so natural, which is a good thing. But then you pee in it. <laughs> there, yes. you, there you go. And that was the thing you'll never live down. Right. Um, which is fine. I, I don't mind at all. Yeah. So those are sort of like the non-surgical options. And of course, you know, look into this yourself if you're really interested. Um, there's a, a couple of surgical options to reconstruct it, which involves like skin grafting. The reports from those have not been good and they're sort of um, considered very expensive and not really mm. very commonly performed in this day and age. Um, there was like a guy who, well, I won't read it because it's kind of graphic, but basically he lost his foreskin at like sort of a later age and nah. as restitution, he got this surgical reconstruction, but he wasn't very happy with it. So that was like a case study that they cited in Wikipedia. Sure. Then there's this idea of foreskin regeneration. So there's a company, there's a some kind of biotech startup called Foregen. Mm. And it's actually a nonprofit organization, says Wikipedia. And I think I looked into this. What they're doing is they're trying to create some kind of a scaffold and basically 3D print foreskin tissue that can then be grafted onto the penis. Ah, okay. So they're growing new foreskins just like they can now 3D print things like you know, other types of organs like tracheas and bladders and things like that. Yeah. And this doesn't, I, I could see this being possible. I mean, sometimes when you read about things being 3d printed, it's absolutely ridiculous, mm -hmm. uh, but you can, I mean, they are 3d printing organic material now. And yeah, this is a pretty, you know, basic, uh, uh, structure to, to print and, and to, to, to put on. So, uh, I, yeah, I could see this. Yeah. Um, so they're actually pretty close to making this happen. Um, they, Do they have a timeline? They, yes, they did. A, they did some kind of a, a fundraiser to fund a human clinical trial. Mm. And they reached their goal for funding that in June 2012. They got a laboratory. They did some preliminary experiments and they have people on staff that are experts in regenerative medicine. And they've got their first clinical trial. Um, oh, I guess they they. Um, they published a clinical study, but it wasn't on humans in 2013. Okay. And they're now prepping for a human trial. And they say that by 2019, which is three years from now, I don't know, maybe five years, maybe 2020 or 2021, they could, this could be a thing that you can get. If it is, I think. Assuming it, the clinical trials go well. Yeah. As long as the trials go well, I might be tempted, you know. I think I think that would be wonderful restitution, you know, yeah. for for men who have had it done to them and it's irreversible, you know, at least they can get it back and they can have a say. I know it it wouldn't be the same because they were missing it for a lot of their life, but I think it's a great use of technology to give people back an element of choice and autonomy over their bodies. Yeah, really absolutely. Like yeah. Uh, I don't know why, like, I'm, I'd be curious who the funding partners are for this. Um, but these are the kinds of things that, you know, when I hear about people doing it and I, and, and, and I, you know, generally it's not funding from the government's usually not funding this, which mm -hmm. not that I want the government to fund anything. Taxation is theft. Um, but, you know, if they're going to fund something, 
why not this? Uh, but also, you know, where... Well, because it would slow it down. I mean, sometimes government funding actually makes things worse because well, the government sort of dictates what they study. And um, there was a great article we read, I think, on season one that was like five reasons why you should never take a government grant yeah. if you're like a private business. And it was all because it's counterproductive and it actually slows you down and gives you the wrong incentives and what you really need are market forces. Sure. But then we, that that's to my second point. Where the fuck is Google? Where is Apple? Where are all these, you know, other companies oh they're too busy making self-driving cars so people can watch youtube while they drive you know i mean like they they, they want to toss money around and like with oh, all these correction, google is is too busy funding companies that make women's vaginas smell like peaches okay oh, rather than restoring right. foreskins yeah rather than do some good in the world and <sighs> something that people actually would want man <laughs> right it, it, it's so it's it's ridiculous it is it, it really is uh the the incentives on the planet are so so messed up uh but anyway yeah. um so so the person basically said have you heard of this and what are your thoughts um i think we basically gave our thoughts but it couldn't hurt to try the non-surgical i mean they're really cheap if you want to restore your foreskin go for it um you know i i can't I'm a woman, right? So I can't really comment too much on it. Um, Brian, you've tried one of the non-surgical things. Would you ever try the thing where you hang a weight off your dick? It's not no. like it bad as it sounds. You know, it's more, there's a thing called the TLC tugger. Yeah. Where it just pulls it kind of gently and supposedly you don't even feel it yeah. too much. Weights down there for men, like <laughs> it gets used for various reasons, not just for Oh, skin. to make your dick longer. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, it gets used for all the, all the sorts of stuff. Um, I, I'm, I'm not terribly interested in, in any, in that. I'm not saying there's anything wrong with it. If you want to try it, you rock and roll. Mm -hmm. Um, but I am fully on board with finding ways of, uh, you know, of restoring, mm -hmm. you know, we're not talking about, this isn't simple cosmetics. This is restoring, uh, a, a piece of human evolution. Mm -hmm. you know, on, on, on men. Yeah. And I am, yeah, let's do that. Uh, I think that's great. And then of course, sometimes, you know, just to play devil's advocate here, sometimes the best revenge is just being happy with what you have. You know what I mean? Like I sure. get, I get that there are lots of men out there who are hurt that their moms and dads did this to them sure. without their consent. And that sucks. I completely hear that. But you know, maybe, maybe just enjoying sex in spite of that as much as you can is, it like that's the solution you don't need to try to restore your foreskin to be happy right you can be happy right now yeah you know what i mean yeah absolutely and and i i agree with that too uh i mean there's certainly i think it's worthy to also put money into just educating people on look there is no point to doing circumcisions mm -hmm. you know 99 yeah. of the time so let's not do it to 99 percent of the population okay yeah uh you know i i think that's important too uh you know i love uh there's a great you know science fiction can always can always yeah, not give solutions but can always kind of give you a nice little picture of the future here and there and there's the arthur c clark book 3001 which actually is a is like a sequel to to 2001 um and in that it's in the year 3001 and when you know this character from 2001 appears he's obviously circumcised because that's the order of the day and the woman's about to stoop him and she goes <gasps> like she thinks it's disgusting <laughs> oh, she get, yeah that that he doesn't have his foreskin yeah. like it, it's it's just this terrible thing like what is wrong with you why would you mutilate yourself you know yeah. and obviously the person didn't do it, didn't as do the it mother, to but, himself right yeah uh but uh but you know that i thought that was kind of nice you know what I mean? For for somewhere in some realm of mainstream uh, media that that not circumcising would would get normalized. Uh, so anyway, however you want to get that message out there and if you want to help regenerate it, I think it's all wonderful. 
Right. Cool. Okay. Well, thank you for your perspective on that. Yeah. Um, coming from you, you know, you're a man, so I I give more weight to your opinion than my own, but I certainly uh, am with you there too. Sure. So, um, we've got this other article. I'm not sure if we should go into this or if we should just save it for next time. What do you think? It's called what? "How Giving Up TV for a Month Changed My Brain and My Life." Oh boy, I would love to do this. How much time do we have? Okay, well we have a couple minutes, so I think we can get into All it. All right. All right. So this maybe is like the smart dumb segment or something like that. <laughs> um usually we do that in segment three. Um this is by Stephanie Voza from Fast Company. I've never seen Game of Thrones, she says, and I don't know what the scandal is, and I couldn't name a single real housewife. I thought I didn't watch much t- television and that taking a thirty day break would be a piece of cake, but I was wrong. The average adult watches 2.8 hours per day of television. God, combine that with how much time do they spend on Facebook? And you've got like basically a whole work day of TV and Facebook. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. TV's not a problem. And personally, I don't, depending upon generation, TV's not a problem anymore. But go ahead. <laughs> you mean compared to the internet? Compared to Facebook? Uh-huh. Oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> a friend of mine was saying recently that he tracked like how much time he had spent on Facebook. And this was a person I think of as rarely going on Facebook. Yeah. And he said he was appalled. <laughs> it, he said it was obscene how much time he spent on Facebook. Yeah. And so I'm thinking, oh, boy, what yeah. does the average normie spend what on? What does the normie do? <laughs> So anyway, um, the average adult watches 2.8 hours of television per day, according to the American Time Use Survey from the Bureau of Labor Statistics. Another study puts this number higher at four hours and 15 minutes each day. God, I added up all the viewing at my house and we were definitely on the high side. A one-hour standing date with Judge Judy marking the official end of my workday. An hour of news, 30 minutes of Jeopardy because it's educational. And an hour plus of mindless shows before bed. Nielsen, we have a problem. (laughs) (laughs) The dangers of TV. A lot of research has been done around TV viewing in children. Adam Lipson, a neurosurgeon with IGEA Brain and Spine, says one of the best studies is from Tohoku University in Japan. They noticed thickening of the frontopolar cortex, which is related to verbal reasoning ability, and also correlated with a drop in IQ in proportion to the number of hours of television watching. So literally... He's saying TV makes you dumber, and here's a neurological explanation to prove it. <laughs> wow. In addition, he says they notice thickening in the visual cortex in the occipital lobe and in the hypothalamus, which may correlate with aggression. Okay, I don't exactly buy this, but I guarantee yeah. this is this is true for smartphones uh, as well. I'm but, with you. I'm with you. Yeah. <laughs> Studies involving adults have tied television to watching to type 2 diabetes, depression, and even crime, adds Lipson. Many of the studies report adverse effects with television watching greater than one hour per day, he says. There have been EEG studies that demonstrate that television watching converts the brain from a beta wave activity to alpha waves, which are associated with a daydreaming state and a reduced use of critical thinking skills. This is scary shit. You know, like... You know, there's all these, like, conspiracy theories about the TV is mind control. Yeah. I mean, now, I have to say, this is my bias and our our little agenda, why we found this article interesting. We don't watch TV. We don't have a television set in our home. Mm-hmm. Um, we will sometimes watch shows through the computer, but only for a limited time per day. We don't spend hours sitting in front of it, staring at it blindly. No. We we only, first of all, we only eat while we're eating, we only watch while we're eating our dinner. 
And second of all, we only watch for like an hour or two at most per day is pretty much as long as it takes us to eat dinner. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I mean, there I've heard which is in- kind of bad. It could be bad, too, because I've seen studies that say you eat more when you're watching TV. But, well, I that try to avoid that i mean we and we avoid that by measuring out our food exactly yeah uh but i you know i've heard kind of maybe it was a counter to this article um i read an article that said that you know or that was kind of an opinion piece saying hey you know stop saying stop being snobby that you don't own a tv it's like you own a computer you still watch tv okay Uh, fair point which is fair but Still, there, there is, I think it's more than that. Like the TV is more than just watching TV and TV shows. The TV is like, it makes having a TV is such a statement because it's generally the centerpiece yeah, of the whatever room, of the room you happen to be in, uh, or, you know, you happen to be in. And that, that is, it's more than just when I, so I still think you can be a little snobbish when you say you don't have a TV because you're making it clear that is not the center of my life. Yeah. And, you know, I feel like um, sometimes when we're over someone's house and there's a TV on and it's it's loud and it's blaring, it's just hard to get anything else done. It's hard to concentrate on anything else. You know what I mean? Yeah. Uh, When we're watching on a small screen without the sound system, you know, it's sure it's not as intense of an experience. You don't feel like you're at a home theater or something, but you it's not like blaring out everything else in your field of consciousness. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I I mean, and I, please, you know, somebody, if somebody you know enjoys TV and all this stuff or they have a game system hooked yeah, up to it and all that, you, I, no I get problem. it. That, that's fine. I'm, I don't really mean to judge by that. Especially I mean, if you have kids, like how else are you supposed, like, well, are you literally supposed to babysit your kids a hundred percent of the time? Like you can never like sit them in front of the TV and say, here, entertain yourselves for a couple hours. Yeah. Right? Well, be, be careful how you say that, but yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, but you know, I don't, I don't agree that somehow I cannot imagine life without Star Trek. And I mean that. Yeah. Star okay. Trek is awesome. I like, agree with you there. Like that, yes, that, that hooked me a onto a TV, TV for, for a good long, good chunk of my life. Yep. Okay. But I guarantee, I totally credit that. I certainly don't credit my parents with giving me the desire to learn, to explore, or not giving, but uh, uh, fostering that because mm-hmm. i think kids naturally have those things but in fostering that sort of thing um yeah i i don't buy this that somehow tv is just no question about it across the board it makes you dumber that, that that's just not true yeah uh, it, i'm sure it depends a lot on what you're watching exactly as well. now i mean if you want to rate channels and it's like well if they're watching i don't know reality tv all day long and stuff like that oh i'm sure that's true Okay, because reality TV is the farthest thing from reality. Science fiction is more real than reality television is. All right. Um, yeah, but- you know, and there's also no evidence really that these educational TV programs like make kids any smarter. Like the best thing from studies that I've seen, the best thing to help kids develop reading skills and math skills and language skills is to actually interact with them in person, like read books to them and talk to them yeah. like face to face rather than letting them watch a screen with well, someone talking. Yeah. I mean, that can get into a whole other subject. I mean, there, I think there's a, there is a way to make really great educational uh, uh, programming and please everybody save your jokes about why do they call it programming because it's programming you you know and, and all that i i get it those pedantics okay yeah um pedantics right. it's like the sovereign tech sweaties it's the pedantics the the sex and science hour pedantics yeah <laughs> <laughs> so all right but the way you make great educational pro- programming is by right out of the gate 
just like Cos- Carl Sagan did with Cosmos. You say, we won't be afraid to speculate, but we will be very careful to separate speculation from fact. And that's how you do it. You have to, kids get into, humans get interested when questions come into play. You've got to have the questions there because we don't have all the answers yeah. to everything. Deal oh, with it, folks. True. We don't. Okay. No, we don't. You can take your trivium, shove it up your ass. I, I, like, <laughs> oh, where did that come from? I'm just saying, like, we really don't have all the answers. And there is a joy in asking questions. There is a joy in, like, trying to figure things out. So I think that, you, you, you know, to, that that's how you make great great programming like that. That's how you make great, great educational stuff is by asking questions. The problem is, is that most of the educational stuff isn't asking questions. It's just telling you how it is. And yes, there are facts. There mm-hmm. isn't, there are objective facts out there, but it's so fun to, to inject the questions. That's what inspires wonder and, uh, and, 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 and yeah, exploration and wanting to learn and know more mm-hmm. anyway. Well, anyway, uh, so we went on a huge tangent, um, but, There is more to this article. You want to hear it? Yeah, let's do it. Okay, so back to the article. Eric Braverman, founder and president of PATH Foundation New York, a nonprofit research organization devoted to brain health, is a little more blunt. He says, the boob tube turns you into a boob. (laughs) (laughs) Television mesmerizes people and turns them into intellectual spectators. It feeds passivity and makes you less engaged. I just, I so disagree. Well, well, we already discussed that. But anyway, um, the author says he's right. Um, She says, ouch, but he's right. Once the blue glow fills a room, I often find it hard to break away. Television watching is a habit my husband and I started as kids. We both grew up spending, quote, family time around programs like Love Boat and Fantasy Island. He agreed to take the challenge with me. No TV, no Netflix, no live streaming anything. How hard could it be? We thought. What happened? During the first few days, we were at a loss for what to do. It had been our routine to watch TV, whatever is on TV, after dinner. And suddenly we were both dumbstruck for ideas. So we went to sleep at 8.30 p.m. (laughs) Then a new routine kicked in. We started cooking together, took the dogs on longer walks, completed tasks around the house that had been on the to-do list for too long, and had great conversations over a glass of wine. On Friday and Saturday nights, we went, we didn't have plans, oh, sorry, on Friday and Saturday nights when we didn't have plans with friends, we listened to CBS Radio Mystery Theater on YouTube, a radio program we had both loved as kids. While week one was filled with fighting the urge to turn on the TV and brainstorming other activities, weeks two and three were when things started to change for me, physically and mentally. Most notably, I felt less stressed. A lot of the programs we used to watch, like Dateline or 48 Hours Mystery, had elements of suspense, drama, and violence. Had this stuff been rubbing off on me? TV increasingly traffics in violent programming to keep the viewer in a state of constant fear, says Wheeler Winston Dixon, Ryan Professor of film studies at the University of Nebraska. TV also acts as a pacifier, a sort of virtual escape, but it is one that never satisfies and only leaves the viewer wanting more of the same emptiness. Oh, oh that's dark. I so disagree. Uh, I mean, I if, kind of agree with that. No, nah. <laughs> um, especially when it comes to the news, like he's saying TV traffics in violent programming. There's nothing more violent and horrible than the news. Oh, sure. But then, see, that's the thing. you is, in a constant state of fear. Like, right? I, I think this article should have started off with the definition of TV. Like, yeah, are you fair. just talking about the technology? Are you talking about it in the abstract of what television, you know, is? Or are you talking about, like, modern TV? And, I mean, because I, I would agree that, like, uh, uh, 
you know, networks and whoever else are, are often, I mean, they are just pushing and, and they're like trying to hook your attention and doing all this terrible stuff all the time. And they're, they're like over dramatizing or they're doing all this crap, but that's not all television, mm-hmm. you know? And in fact, like one of the best things you can do for your health, in my opinion, is to not watch TV as it airs, uh, uh, you know, as it first airs. You know what I mean? As in watch television shows years later. Don't watch them <laughs> while everybody else does because I Yeah, that makes sense. Because I well part of what I think happens there, you know, and I'm glad she doesn't watch Game of Thrones. I'm with her on that. Uh, I don't watch Game of Thrones either. Uh-huh. Um but I think the reason everybody likes Game of Thrones, it's not because it's a great show. Uh I think it's crap. I I think it's because it gives everybody like this communal feeling. You know what I mean? Around the water cooler come Monday morning mm, uh, mm-hmm. or, or on Facebook Monday morning or whatever. Uh, and that has a bunch of its own dangers that that alone, uh, uh, you, you know, to say nothing of what, like bread stuff. and circuses or collectivism. Yeah. Things like saying? this. I mean, yeah, you, you can fall into kind of a cultural trap, you know, yeah. and, and that, so where it becomes like the most important thing that everybody's thinking about is this fictional thing. Yeah, yeah, and and, I mean, and talking could, to other people about it, right? That's how you lose ground of reality. Yeah. That, 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 that's that's how that happens. Not because of like television in the abstract is a terrible technology. Anyway, go so ahead. right, so you're you're going to get some vindication here. Um, all TV isn't yet. All TV isn't bad, says Braverman, who's a nah. professor or something. There are tons of programs that challenge the brain, such as shows about history. He says life is not about learning every second. TV is a tremendous potential source if properly handled. The problem is that it's a quite difficult instrument to control. Some things have more destructive qualities, and TV is one of them. Just like sugar is a deceitful food, TV is a deceitful presentation of life. Yes, Um, I'll agree with that. Braverman has a formula for how much is okay. He says everybody needs an hour of aerobic exercise every day. I don't know about that. Uh, If you work out for an hour, you can watch TV for an hour. Work out for two hours, you can watch TV for two hours. But never watch more TV than the amount of time you exercise. What do you Ooh, think about that, Brian? <laughs> I, I like that advice. Uh, I don't. I'm not saying I'm perfect at that, but I like that advice. So by the end of the story, she decided that they wanted to leave the TV off. Well, what do you think? The challenge Stephanie? was successful. I think you can you can go get carried away from with it. You know, like everything, it's not bad to have a detox and sort of reevaluate how much time you want to be spending watching TV. Sure. Um, but you know, uh, the, the the amount that's healthy could be more than zero. <laughs> yeah, it's a, it yeah. might be okay to indulge in sometimes, but as long as you keep in touch with reality. All right. Speaking of which, we got an after show coming up. Stay Ooh, tuned if you're jo- leaving us. SexandScienceHour.com. Thanks for listening. You've just heard Sex and Science Hour. Game over. Play again next week. both literally looked at each other and simultaneously gave a thumbs up yeah at the exact same time how, how about that for synchronicity how about that is that what synchronicity is or is that just being in tune with each other uh, it's just being in tune synchronicity is a pretty complex yeah. subject well okay and a great album by the police <laughs> i love the police somebody's gonna take that out of context
You mean the police, the band? Of yes, course, yes, of course. Haha. <laughs> 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 Stuart Copeland and well, anyway, go ahead. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, so. We do this after show because we want to uh, present a little voyeuristic spy into the lives of our listeners. Anonymized, of course, because we don't know who bought this stuff, but we have an Amazon affiliate link and uh, we know what people bought. We don't know who bought it, but we can look at the items and we can, you know, speculate about what they're using them for and talk about what they are and whether we like or dislike them. And it is all to fund our activities here on Sex and Science Hour. That's right. We, you know, this costs us time to do yada yada. I'm sure you don't care about that. Um, you just want us to keep making our content because it's entertaining and um, supporting us through shopping through our Amazon affiliate link at at Oh, stuff. stuff. Sex and science hour. Hour. Com. Yeah, you're <laughs> tossing it off to me. I, I have to correct you. Often. Uh, yeah, I know. I You know why I pointed at you? Because I was like, oh, shit, I don't remember what it is. <laughs> I, <laughs> I knew you were going to get it right. Stuff.sexandsciencehour.com. <laughs> Thank you, Brian. Absolutely. You're like my Vanna White. I love you. I am more than happy to be that Pat. <laughs> <laughs> I'm Pat Zajac now. Yeah, boy. Um, <laughs> that guy is immortal. He is a vampire. So is Vanna White. She looks amazing. Yeah. She must be in her 60s by now. Jeez. But anyway, you shopping through our Amazon affiliate link helps us uh, continue doing the show. And we have a plan for it. Eventually, you know, when we really get up there and we're rolling in it, we want to do sex and science, our retreats and listener parties and do the show on location where we can meet up with people. And, yeah. um, you know, those will start small, of course. But who knows? I think it could be really fun for everybody. And in the meantime, it's fun to just read off the items and have a little after show. <laughs> so why not? Right. Absolutely. You know, I remember the first Let's Talk Bitcoin meetup. Oh, that was so much fun. But oh it my was gosh, like that was 15 three years people? ago. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And then, I mean, then we had a few that grew to like, oh, I don't know, maybe nearly, nearly a hundred. I don't know. Yeah. At least like 50 yeah, yeah. people that showed up. Anyway. Yeah. Well, that was fun. Let's Talk Bitcoin is another podcast that I'm a part of. You probably know it if you're listening to this show. But Brian, you do your own show. It's called Sovereign Tech. It's a technology podcast. That's and right. It is the shit. <laughs> I love it. I <laughs> love you. Sovereign Tech. It's probably, if I didn't know you, I think it would still be my favorite podcast, maybe next to Puke in the Gang, which is another podcast hey. that I love. <laughs> Guilty pleasure. But I really love Sovereign Tech. I think I'm going to be on it this week. Yeah, I might Lucky have you, you on. Might have you on tomorrow. So this gets released Friday and I record Saturday. So, so you can find Brian's show at SovereignTech.com, yeah. S-O-V-R-Y-N Tech. That's right. Com. And uh, you'll hear me on there doing voiceovers if you don't hear me on there talking into the mic. That's right. Okay, so for Sex and Science Hour, what did people buy this week? Oh, yeah, we, we did have a listener email. He was asking, or she, they, the email that they put in, they contacted us through the contact form on our website. Uh-huh. Of, and the email that they put in was like, don't matter at like fuck you dot com or something <laughs> or like don't at matter dot com yeah, or something. Yeah, yeah. I love it. That's why I love contact forms because they're anonymous, right? You send it through your website, and yep. of course you can contact us at sexandsciencehour dot com. There's a contact link. There's a shop link. What else could you ask for? And there's all our podcasts there. Yep. With minimal like co commercialism, you know, it's mostly just like listen to our content. You can easily click it and play. Yeah, um, absolutely. <laughs> we do take donations too. We take Bitcoin and we take um, uh, what's it called? Paper money, Monopoly money, uh, fiat money. Yeah, fiats. <laughs> and uh, by PayPal, of course, which are very useful to us because we can pay our bills with them and stuff like that. Yeah. Um, but you know, uh, I figure the funnest way for people to contribute is is shopping through our affiliate link. 
Yeah, absolutely. So anyway, um, the person who emailed us asked, when are you going to have a German Amazon affiliate link? And I hadn't, honestly, I hadn't considered doing that before making one, but it makes a hell of a ton of sense because there's a lot of German listeners that I know of. Mm -hmm. I can think of at least like five off the top of my head. Sure. And they would probably shop through German Amazon. So I, I will do that, listener. Thank you for the suggestion. It's not implemented as of this recording, but I will stay tuned. I will let you know. <laughs> right. Um, we do have one for Cam Canada. I was going to say Canada Amazon, and I was I, it almost came out like Camazon. <laughs> Camazon. Eventually, <laughs> like Amazon that. will have its own country. But yeah, I should probably make one for Mexico and Canada. I, I mean, I just don't know like who's where. Like in Mexico, the problem is like the mail sucks. So until they get drones, it's not going to be that great. You know what I mean? Well, yeah. I mean, but it you was... can still order stuff on Amazon in Mexico, especially yep. digital stuff. Just this past year, they finally made an official site for Amazon. I know there's services where you can pay a premium and they'll bring it over the border and all this stuff and then they get it to you. Uh, yes. But as far as like anything more uh, quote unquote legit, and I use that word in quotes, believe mm -hmm. me, because I don't agree with the concept of legit. Uh, yeah, that right. It's a little shaky. I don't know how that works. But anyway. You know, when you said like they bring it across the border, uh -huh. I totally had this urge and I stifled it, but I'm going to talk about it anyway. Okay. I had this urge to do this completely racist Speedy Gonzalez accent. <laughs> like, no, I'm not going to do it. I Don't cannot, do it. I Don't cannot do it. Do it. <laughs> but I did have that urge come up. Um, but the point of saying that was because... Um, we bought something on Amazon this week that helped us catch a mouse. And wasn't Speedy Gonzalez a mouse? Uh, sure. Yeah, he's a mouse. Yeah. Right? So we got a mouse house, tra a mouse house trap. It's like this no-kill mouse trap yep. that is like a little green mouse house, and you put food inside. For us, the thing that worked was pumpkin seeds. Our mouse liked pumpkin seeds. Yep. And the reason I know that is because we had to do some trial and error to catch him. Like, one day he managed to eat cucumber peels, blueberries, and peanut butter without setting off the trap and shat all around the trap. And I was so mad. And at that point, I was like, okay, he's got to go. At the, Before that, I was like, okay, he's kind of cute. I don't mind if he stays. But after that, it was war. Yeah. Um, so we got this, this mouse house trap. And it worked like a charm. The mouse got in it once we put the pumpkin seeds in. He loved the pumpkin seeds. He got trapped in the trap. And then we took him out to a field. And we opened the door and let him out. And it, we didn't have to kill the mouse. I mean, I've killed so many mice for my PhD that I feel like I just can't kill one more. Like, I don't want to kill any more mice. Yeah. And the mouse was cute, okay? It was annoying, but it was cute, and I didn't want to kill it, so I, we let it outside in a field. And it hopped along. Where it'll probably get eaten by a hawk or something. But hey, at least we didn't kill it, yeah. right? <laughs> so, <laughs> but it was really sweet because the mouse was in this little green mouse house that we got on Amazon, and Brian opens the little door and he's like he's like you know I could just tip it over and like pour the mouse out and I'm like no 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 let him walk out free let him the door is open let him see that the cage door is open and he can go out and he did he kind of peeked his head and then he went back in and he peeked his head again a little further this time he went back in and Brian's like oh my god I have to tip this over come on I have work to it do it probably had been 10 minutes like <laughs> and I'm like no 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 he'll go out let him just just leave him alone and he will go free so you left him alone and I we, you and I patiently waited and eventually he did walk out of the trap and go free into the grass Aww. it was very sweet it was a very sweet moment so but I got that mouse trap on Amazon and I wish I could remember the the brand but i if you just search for like no kill mouse house trap it'll mm -hmm. it'll, it'll come up yeah so it was wonderful it worked 
Yeah. And we didn't have to kill the mouse. There it is. That's my pick for this week. Do you have a th- do you have a thing? A pick? A pick? Yeah. Uh, sure. Here, here's this is uh, a lot of people have asked about like uh, getting a, a computer, a PC that maybe hooks up to their TV. We're uh-huh. just talking about TVs and all this. Um, I think the best one out there. It's called a Nuck. Okay, and and that it's made. They're made by Intel, and they're very small. As in, like they're maybe an inch, not even an inch tall, about eight inches uh, wide. I mean, and then just how do you make spell four Nuck? inches depth? And you see. And you see, uh, okay. Yeah, it stands for like next unit computing or something like that. Oh, uh, but all I could think was Canuck. Right. Well, like I Canadian. used to. Well, here's the bad part. I called them nukes for months. Oh my god, that's and I'm like funny. the that's Intel nuke. That's yeah, bad. And, yeah, that's bad branding. Like, it, oh, no it's matter terrible. what, it's, it's it's not good. <laughs> no, they shouldn't. I mean, Nuck sounds terrible, but then Nuke is just creating a situation. Yeah. Uh, so bad marketing on their part, but regardless. <laughs> I think these these little computers, I mean, they are tiny, but they're very powerful. They have a gaming model that came out. Uh, it's called Skull Canyon. That's the name of the model. It has like a little death's head on it and everything. Uh, yeah. They cost about 600 bucks. Um, you have to put in your own your own hard drive and your own RAM. Uh, but I think they're the best comp- the best desktop computers out on the market right now. I mean, yeah. obviously they don't have a big, you know, they don't have a GTX NVIDIA card in them or anything like that, but they have the Iris Pros and, and they're really, really great. Uh, I even have one on my wishlist at wishlist.zog.ninja. Uh-huh. So if anyone is interested in, you know, like it would make for a great studio computer. But anyway, I, I think it, it is awesome. Uh, so that that's my pick. I can tell you that, I, I mean, performance-wise, everything about it, it's really a great, very tiny machine. That's awesome. Uh, cool. Yeah. I didn't even know about that. Yep. So the thank Skull you Canyon sharing. Intel NUC. Very cool. Yeah. Now, speaking of Zog, mm. Z-O-G.ninja, yes. your website, we saw a license plate this week <laughs> that said uh, UN-Zog or UnZog. we're not sure. Yeah, now... And we were driving, okay, and I noticed it first, and I said, Brian, does that license plate say UnZog? And we looked at it, and of course, your website is called Zog, Zomia Offline Games. You had the Zog blog, right. you know, like, it's kind of a cute thing. And you had a particular reason for naming it that way, which I'll let you reveal if you want to. But the the license plate said UNZog or UnZog. And I said, does that say UnZog? And you were like, yeah, I think it does. Oh, my God, this guy's a fucking racist. And then I said, well, maybe it's the UN. It's like UNZog. Because Zog in the common parlance of bigots and racists is Zionist occupied government. Right. Like is the government is all about protecting Israel, I guess. Yeah. And it's that the Jews also control controlled the world. by Jews. Yes. Yeah. That, that's the idea. <laughs> so controlled by Jains. I mean, Oh shit. Yeah. yeah, yeah by the Janish. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, um, so, so we didn't know if it was UNZOG, like get rid of the ZOG or UN, like the UN is a Zionist occupied government. Right. Well, somebody said that that's a last name. I've never I seen that before. That. Whose name is Unzog? I don't know, but that's a fucking terrible. Like I would. Like I've heard of like Herzog or something. But I'm just saying. Okay, as as a you know a grandson of of immigrants. Okay, I would have Jewish immigrants at that. If my name was Unzog, okay, <laughs> coming into Ellis Island, I would have said no, 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 change it, change it. <laughs> You know, like, like, however I could get it out there, I'd say that is not, I would, I would change. I like, they would have changed it anyway, no matter what you said. Well, right. But it's a terrible last name. And and if any of our listeners have that as a last name and it's actually legit, I apologize. But it is a terrible last name. 
So anyway, I doubt I, it was his last name. I think it was a plain old bigot. Yeah, I think it was a real because the what guy. What do you had, think? Well, Show at sexandsciencehour.com. Maybe yeah, we're missing something. Yeah, I mean the guy had like a like a U.S. Marine Corps license plate. Yep. You know, a veteran license plate. Or whatever, I don't want to out him or anything. We won't say what state it was from, but you know. It was definitely, it definitely said that. Yeah. I mean, I think it was one of these really zealots kind of patriots and, and the whole, the whole Zionism thing is just insane. Yeah. There's a, it's pretty easily debunked, I think, you know? Yeah. I mean, Zionism and Zionist control, you know, Zionist, uh, controlling everything. Yeah. yeah. That, two very different things. So, all right. What did people buy this week? Like, we got to get into it because we're running out of time. All right. So this week, somebody bought a Baltic amber teething necklace for babies Anti-inflammatory, actually says anti-flammatory, drooling and teething pain reducing properties, natural certified oval. Wow. Now, I have to look this up because, you know, I didn't, admittedly, I haven't pulled up the picture. Oh, here it is. Okay. So, it's a necklace, I guess, that you put on a baby. Yeah. Okay. And it's made out of Baltic amber and the baby can suck on it. I guess. Okay. As though it's a pacifier. I've never seen this before, but it looks pretty interesting. Generally, people are kind of scared to put things around their baby's necks, I would guess, and also to let their babies chew on something that is like could potentially come off, you know? But maybe uh, maybe they couldn't break maybe can't, can't break the beads off. I don't know. I don't know. It was 16.99. It's a number 1 bestseller in silver baby spoons. Well, then it's a good bet we're not hearing about a rash of dead babies. Yeah. Using that's this. really so interesting. I've never heard of that before. Yeah, me But uh, that was pretty cool. Uh, in the books department, we got Dumbing Us Down, The Hidden Curriculum of Compulsory Schooling, the 10th anniversary edition. And oh, I, is this by the woman who was with, in the Reagan administration? Um, or maybe that's no, the Dumbing Down of America. No, it's by John Taylor Gatto, who's a oh, famous author. Yeah, yeah, he writes yeah, yeah, about okay. on schooling. And, I'm thinking of two different books. Yeah. Um, and so that was, that was the person looked like they paid uh, about $6, and we made about $0.39 cents on it. So thank you. Hey. John Taylor Gatto is great if you want to read about the dangers of compulsory schooling, exactly what he wrote about in that book. He's got many other books. He did some kind of documentary with our friend Brett Vinat from the School Sucks pod- podcast. John Taylor Gatto. Remember he, he, did he, he filmed John Taylor Gatto is sick, if not dead. Yeah, and, I know. And that yeah, was filmed well, before yeah. he got sick or got too sick to, to film something like that. Okay. Yeah. I, I didn't know. I don't recall if, if it was a documentary done otherwise or Brett was just a part of it or, or what. But, I think yeah. Brett was involved. He was, he interviewed him or something like mm. that. And it was like this 13 hour, it was a really long, a lot of content where he talks about, the history of America and the history of schooling and there's all this stuff in it. So yeah. I'm sure you can find out more about that at school sucks. Um, so we also had a couple of other books, how, how children fail classics in child development and how children learn also classics in child development. Um, now those books are by, let's see, I've actually never heard of those books. John Holt. John Holt is another person who writes about, um, about children and unschooling, yeah. homeschooling, that kind of thing. Um, this book was first published in the 1960s. So that's interesting. Wow. And this is like an updated edition. So we got How Children Fail and How Children Learn. Well, I appreciate our listeners are clearly very interested in making sure children grow up in a in a, uh, a conducive right. to growth environment. And I think yeah. that's beautiful. 
Absolutely. And it gets even better because somebody got the six pillars of self-esteem. Oh, now by there. Nathaniel Brandon. This is a favorite of ours. Yeah, you know, this is a... to, it read the book, listened to a lot of analyses of the book. Yeah, yeah. great. This is a great, great book. Uh, Nathaniel Brandon does tremendous work. Uh, I, in fact, my, probably my, one of my favorite quotes is by him and it, I don't think it's from this book. If it's not from this one, it's from one of his others. Uh, you know, in, in order to think clearly, we have to feel deeply. I mm. love that. That, that is such a key to knowledge, I think. Yes. Nathaniel Brandon, of course, the former lover of Ayn Rand. Another person. They who, had a falling out. But, yeah. Um, yeah. Another, another amazing person. Nathaniel Brandon was a psychologist. Um, he just passed away a couple of years ago. Yeah. And so that will, you know, that's a big loss, but he did write a lot while he was alive. Um, there's a, it sounds like there's an audio book of this, of this book. I'll have to check that out. I don't know who, who narrates that, but no, nah, I'm sure to me, uh, but this is definitely one of the best. I can, I say this with total confidence. One of the best books you, you could ever read in your life. Yeah, absolutely. Nathaniel Brandon did a lot of writing about self-esteem before it became trendy. Yeah. You know, there was this trend of like in the 1990s of, Oh, self-esteem. Like remember Daria, the cartoon <laughs> where, where she's listening to this record and they're saying, I can hope and I can dream and I am full of, full of, full of self-esteem. <laughs> <laughs> and it's like yeah. this ridiculous thing where they try to tell the kids like all this just puff, puffy, like feel good stuff about themselves yeah. that didn't have any real substance behind it. And so it didn't, it created like this pseudo self-esteem, not real self-esteem which comes from like being effective and being able to like support yourself and take responsibility and live with integrity and things like that so right um so anyway nathaniel brandon was writing about self-esteem before it was cool and then finally we have unconditional parenting moving from rewards and punishments to love and reason by alfie cone ah. uh, unconditional parenting was reviewed by our and and made it into an audiobook i believe mm -hmm. yes it was because i i know i listened to that um by our friend wes bertrand on the complete liberty podcast yeah and this is a really great book you know alfie cone really unpacks how kids are treated like animals yep, you know carrots and, and sticks yeah we we apply this this pavlovian like operant conditioning to them and we think it makes us good parents but really what kids need is very different than punishments and rewards and that actually kind of like destroys their sense of who they are and their intrinsic motivation to do things because they're trying to meet their basic human needs that we all have, right? Yeah. And we all have this internal intrinsic motivation, but it gets kind of crushed out of us by being told what to do constantly at school and by our parents. So um, I I love the book. Um, I like Alfie Cohn's other books too. Um, and now I, I can't think of the titles, but if you look up Alfie Cohn, you'll you'll find him. Yeah. Also another fellow Jane. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, Which Brandon was too, right? Oh, was he Jewish? I don't know. What do you mean Jewish? <laughs> oh, I mean Jewish. <laughs> well, I didn't. I didn't think Nathaniel Brandon was Jewish. I think Jewish, he is. I think he is. Interesting. We can keep looking. I am going to try and confirm this fact. <laughs> okay, you do your work. Um, in the cell phone department, we had a a uh, a cover case for a phone that is described as being a pudding soft gel case. It's a cover for the Zen phone. Oh, now, very nice. Now, how does it look like pudding? I'm not exactly sure. I would kind of love to put to stick my phone in pudding and have it sort of like like gel around it and protect <laughs> it. And then like when I needed it, it would sort of clear out and like open up. But anyway, this <laughs> this case was was only nine ninety five with free shipping, and it was made by Amzer. 
Okay. So, um, so there you go. Maybe this is another Zenfone accessory because we had like we had a a couple of Zenfone things purchased in recent weeks. Yeah, it's so a, I don't I'm, know if it's the same person. That's a phone you promote heavily, right? Uh, yeah, the Zenfone line in general is pretty good. Yeah, uh, I think, or at least you get a lot of value out of what you pay for it. So. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, we've talked about the sh mouse before. It's like a silent mouse. Um, somebody, there were three different sh my spot. Okay. Uh, so I won't go over all of them because we've already talked about them. But um, you know, they're good for gaming and they're good for podcasting and making audiobooks because yeah. you don't have clicks in your podcast. Somebody got in the electronics department a universal remote. So we we're talking about TV before. Mm-hmm. Uh, they got a universal remote. Now, I f- I feel like most American homes have like a basket, or if they're not organized, they just have them strewn all over the place. They have like there's a remote for everything, for the TV, for the stereo system, for the DVD player, for the uh, Xbox, for the the um, the DVR, right? Yeah. So. I guess it's good to have a universal remote, but then if you click on something, do like all the things go crazy at once? I don't know. Maybe that's when the Internet of Things gets hacked. I'm not sure. Yeah, I mean, most most people are using like their smartphone now as their remote and, you know, when everything is interconnected and all that. Right. Uh, but yeah, universal remotes, nice things. I used to be like a real kind of like remote um junkie like mm-hmm. i was really that used to be a really popular thing to be into remotes remote and like, jockey and yeah yeah <laughs> you like the size your... like i remember you know universal remotes used to be massive yes. i mean like they were two hand affairs yeah, yeah uh and really like like it was like dick measuring you know the size of your remote yep, really said a lot about you <laughs> yeah so somebody we talked about this last week that somebody had purchased some amazon gift cards of 150 dollars and by the way, I cannot confirm that that Brandon is uh, was was Janish. I, I don't know. Oh, all right. Well, thanks for looking that up. Yeah. Now, this is strange because, so, we said on the show last week that somebody bought a one hundred fifty dollar Amazon gift card yes. where you could upload a photo to it, and that we got a commission on that. Yes. What actually happened was somebody bought three fifty dollar Amazon gift cards. And I thought it was one hundred and fifty. So it was three fifty dollar gift cards instead. Ah, okay. That's interesting. Now, the weird thing is, we got an email from a listener who said, I bought an Amazon gift card for $150. And I actually bought three of them. So I was hoping you got the commission on four hundred and fifty instead of one fifty. So this might have been a completely different person who bought the fifty dollar gift cards okay. than the person who wrote in. Well, thank you across the board. Thank you across the board, but I'm wondering what happened to those other ones. Um, and the, the person who wrote in also said they bought another item, uh, a, a couple other items, tactical flashlights. Ah. And those d- also did not show up on our list. Okay. So I don't know what's going on there. Maybe it takes time. Maybe I, it takes I, time, but he said he bought them like a couple of weeks ago. And I'm looking back over the last couple of weeks and I didn't see him, unfortunately. I wish we did because that would have been great to... I mean, we can still talk about it on the show. Tactical flashlights are great. I have one. Yeah, uh, I'm a, I have I'm a the big dad, fan. <laughs> the defense assisted device or something like that. Oh, it's yeah. Got pepper spray, a bright light. Great, you know, non-lethal. We're talking about not killing that mouse, right? Yeah. <laughs> um, you know, a, a bright light can really deter an attacker. I'm all well, for protecting yourself, but you, we don't need to be like starting a war, you know, in yeah. the street and everybody starts shooting back at each other, right? Yeah. Um, I mean, it depends on, on how you, you know, what, what credence you want to give to various statistics. But uh, 
it's been found that a flashlight, you know, is one of the best things that, that you can use, uh, you know, to defend yourself because you can instantly, you know, blind somebody in it, depending on the model, the ta- tactical flashlight, maybe it has like, a, a what's the word I'm looking for? Rivets or whatever. Um, yeah. Like a, around like the front of it that you could use to hit someone with. Yeah. You could kind of like, you know, jab somebody mm-hmm. with it either in the eye or something like that. Either way, the idea is that you blind them. I mean, lights in general, like, uh, you know, this is, I think most people accept this, that, uh, statistically it's been shown that, you know, just a light in a part of town can stop theft far greater than a, than a police car sitting there. Yeah. You know, just, just things being well lit, Mm -hmm. you know, uh, but that, that goes all the way down to the individual with flashlights. Uh, I I think there, it's a far better thing. Nobody questions a flashlight. You know what I mean? Like, uh, you know, there's various parts of the world where you can't even carry a knife. Mm -hmm. Um, and nobody really thinks twice about a flashlight. Uh, so I, I recommend that all the way. Um, especially, you know, a lot of people, even today, when you have a lot of shootings and all this stuff that go on, um, a lot of people are really like, oh yeah, I need to, I need to own a gun. I need to own a gun. I need to own a gun. Mm -hmm. Um, I, you know, I don't agree with that at all. Uh, I don't believe in banning anything. Yeah. Um, anything at all. I'm with you. I think that's, that's fraught with problems, but it doesn't mean that the banning them is fraught with problems, but it doesn't mean that the solution is that, well, everybody should just have a gun and the armed society is a polite society. No, an armed society is a society where everybody's walking around in fear. Yeah. It's a society of fear. Uh, right. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and everybody's trying to get a one up and you know, it, it ratches up, right? Because it, it becomes like an arm arms race. Sorry, I'm getting tired. I'm having trouble talking, but you know what I mean? Like once everybody has a certain level of weaponry, then some people are going to be like, well, I need bigger guns. Right. And then it just becomes a never ending cycle where everybody's trying to get bigger and bigger firearms and more firepower and assert their power and dominance by displaying them and blah, blah, blah. Yeah. Yeah. You you get that. I mean, and and then it just doesn't sound very nice. (laughs) No, but right. But it just comes down to like, if the only reason people are polite with each other and the only reason somebody isn't going to rob you is because they're afraid that they're going to get their, you know, get a bullet to the head. Uh, I mean, that's seriously wrong, right? (laughs) Well, it doesn't speak well for humanity. Yeah. I mean, that that's, that's just how it is. Um, you know, so if, I mean, I could go on and on. I talk about this a lot. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, the, the fact that, that guns are not conducive to, you know, to the human condition and to human growth. Right. Uh, I have a real problem with them. Believe me, if you have questions, trust me. I mean, you can ask them and I will respond to them, uh, kindly, as long as you ask them kindly. Uh, you know, if, if you, if people want me to talk more about this sort of thing, uh, but I, I think guns are just, I think they're fucking terrible. Uh, you know, I'll just say that straight up. I won't be so kind as on a military and, veteran, by the way, Yeah, as, as right. As somebody who's fired many off, um, you know, I, I think it, they're, they're just, they're, they're terrible things. I get it. Hunting totally different, blah, 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 you know, c- come on. Uh, but you know, feel free. If you have questions about it, I, I am more than happy to ask them. Believe me though, I have probably heard every argument you've made and I have responses for every single one of them. Uh, but I'm happy to give those responses. Uh, but yeah, I, you know, I'll just say, you know, I think killing humans is wrong. And I don't think, I don't think anybody can claim the godlike knowledge that they know for certain that someone should die, that someone should die. Mm -hmm. I, I challenge anybody. Like, I mean, you, you can't know, even if somebody's rot, 
I mean, it's you know, such a final solution too, right? Like it, it gets you out of the mode of thinking of other ways to solve problems, right? When you yeah. have this, like, have a hammer, everything looks like a nail, right? Right. I, I love the saying, you know, the person who doesn't think you can solve without violence has never had a mosquito on their balls. You know, I mean, it, it, <laughs> and that's that's really true. Uh, I mean, you know, and right because violence can hurt you as well. Well, that yeah, violence doesn't discriminate. You know what I mean? Yeah. I mean, depending, of course, on what level we're talking about it. You know, if you're two people in an alleyway, you know, people that's this is what happens. People bring up all these nightmare scenarios that practically never happen. Right. That are designed to scare you into accepting their argument. And that's right. not how I want to be be uh, shown the light on something, you know? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, and so but, you know, and, and with guns, I mean, people don't, you know, with a flashlight, you don't need any training. On how to use a flashlight. But Brian, what if your wife's getting raped? Are you going <laughs> to deter the guy with a flashlight? No, you're going to blow his head off. Well, those same people... What, are you a pacifist? <laughs> what, are you a pussy? Oh, yeah, you know... That's, that's what they say. That's what that's it turns into. That's literally what they say. And, I, and my response generally to that is that most people who claim that sort of thing also don't believe rape culture exists. So what the fuck are you talking about? That, that someone's getting raped. Um, but... Look up toxic. Yeah, right. Exactly. Yeah. But yeah. I was going to say toxic masculinity. Yeah, like this exactly. This idea that you have to like be a man so hard that men get driven to violence and think it's normal. Yeah. I mean, and you know, there's nothing that, that doesn't even get into. Oh, I see, I could go forever on this. Like, like there's so many things I could talk about. All right. Well, we have other subject. stuff. To but talk we have about. other stuff to get into. Listen to Sovereign Tech. It comes up all the time. It, right? com- it yeah. comes up because it gets asked. I don't bring it up. People want me to talk about this because they think it's such a unique perspective because I don't want to ban guns. But then I also think that guns are, are just an atrocity upon like humankind. Them. Yeah. Uh, so anyway, and if you disagree with me, like I say, send me an email. We can, I will gladly respond to it. Uh, the thing or, that I can see them for is bears. Like, Oh, that it, makes tons of you sense. Know, if you live in Alaska, okay, fine. You need a shotgun to protect you against yeah, you bears. Yeah, you need a big fucking gun. Yeah. You know, and that... That makes tons of sense to me. Uh, but, you know, PPKs and, and, you know, Berettas and all this different. I mean, I, yeah, you, you got me. I don't, you know, if you, I mean, people don't even think about the psychology of that. And it was like, oh, I open carry, you know, blah, 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 and walking around. And it's like, do you, do you realize, you know, that that, that kind of sets off a certain thought process? Like when people are walking right, around. I know. And then they're like, well, why do people like they can't understand why people might feel unsafe or threatened around someone who's open carrying a firearm. Right. Or and, just uncomfortable. Or know? it just creates the it creates this unconscious tension. Yeah, absolutely. That, that who knows what that leads to. That could inspire people to do really violent acts in and of it. I mean, honestly, it could. it's a display and, of power and dominance. Right. right. We and, don't need that. And you are not responsible for other people's actions. You're not responsible for other people's thoughts. OK, but think about it. You know, <laughs> I mean, just, at least be understanding of why people might feel uncomfortable about yeah, it. Yeah. You know? Yeah. So anyway, all right, yeah. let, let's move on. To all other right. Things. Yeah. I, well, thanks, listener, for trying to buy yeah. that stuff through our language. Yeah. <laughs> and, we'll figure out what's going on. We'll get in touch with you. Yeah. By and I think there was some inspiration in buying that, perhaps through some of the things I've said in the past. And I am honored. By yeah, that. there thank was. You. That's what yeah. you said. Yeah. Thank you so, so thank much. You. Yeah. All right, so I'm a bit of a tea snob, and we have tea coming up next, so I'm very excited. This is a tea I've never heard of. It just looks like a regular black Ceylon tea, but it's called Alwaza tea, and it has a big swan on on the front. Oh, that's nice. I like swans. Yeah. I'm kind of curious to try it. Hmm. Now, 
this is really funny. I'm looking at the Q&A on this product. What happens? <laughs> is this loose leaves or dust? And answer, it's cut leaves that expand when you add hot water to the tea. <laughs> what else <laughs> okay. are you going to do with the tea? <laughs> oh, my God. Wow. Now, second question. Is this full tea leaves or powder tea? Exact same question as Bor. Hi, it's dry black tea leaves, loose, so you'd have to brew it in the teapot, etc. It is not a tea bag. Hope it helps. It is excellent. It's the only thing my mom uses, and we are Iranian people, and we know our tea. Okay. Third question. Is this tea leaf or broken black tea? It's like three people asked the exact same question and got three different answers. Answer. The box says flowery broken orange pico, product of Sri Lanka. Like, that doesn't fucking answer the question either. Like, it's so funny. Wow. <sighs> anyway. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, the reviews are good. They say it has an excellent flavor. Um, it appears to be like a loose leaf tea, even though it, you know, it looks like it, it could be a box that has tea bags, but it's a loose leaf. So, cool. Okay. I may have to try it. Yeah. I'll was a tea. So are we on Sex Some, and Science 2 hour right now? Or are we almost yeah, there? Almost. Right. We might make it. I don't know. <laughs> Somebody got now. I didn't know Dr. Bronner's was in the business of non-hemp based products, but apparently they are because Dr. Bronner's now makes an organic virgin coconut oil. I'm so excited about this. Wow. Of course, I mean it makes sense. Of course they would. They're hippies, but yeah, yeah. And coconut oil's trendy. It's like yeah. the cure for everything now. Um, but yeah, the, Dr. Bronner's makes virgin organic coconut oil and, um, it was 1128 for a 14 ounce jar, which is not bad. So somebody bought some of that. And you know, the thing about coconut oil, I know it's really good for you. I don't mind using it in like baked stuff that tastes like coconut, mm -hmm. but the thing is I can always taste the coconut. And for that reason, I hate using it for stir frying like broccoli or something. It's just broccoli and coconut, like no, they fucking keep those away from each other. They do not go together, at least in my mouth, in my palate. Yeah. So <laughs> I just can't stand cooking with virgin with coconut oil. And, you know, you can get like refined coconut oil, but you're not supposed to do that because it's supposedly not healthy or something. I don't fucking know. So I, I don't probably eat as much coconut oil as I could or should. Yeah, but I do put it on my skin. So maybe they're just slathering it on their skin and not not eating it who knows but they bought it through our affiliate link so thank you thank you <laughs> enjoy your coconut oil don't cook your broccoli with it <laughs> if you want your broccoli to taste good um <laughs> somebody got something that i love the name of because every morning brian <laughs> when we're waking up uh-huh you reach over to me and you touch my face okay now we're getting too personal <laughs> <laughs> And you always say how soft it is. You okay. comment regularly on how soft my yep. face is. And sometimes it's soft like an angel. And this person <laughs> bought angel soft bath tissue, a.k.a. toilet paper. That That is the... That is... All right. <laughs> the worst segue? Is that what That is so, like, like, round... Like, I mean, that's that is, that is you know, ass to mouth. That is... Ass to mouth. Yeah. You well, never go ass to mouth, right? Well, right. But, but I mean, what else? <laughs> you're talking about your face and then you're talking about toilet paper. You're oh, talking about you're shit right. tickets. Oh, my God. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> that was the best. We had a friend who called. Shit tickets. Well, I mean, I guess he's still around, but we, we know someone who calls toilet paper shit tickets. Yeah. I think that's really funny. Yeah. 
You're right. It was it was too much acid face <laughs> mixture. You're right. You're right. But I love the name Angel Soft. And get your toilet paper through Sex and Science Towers affiliate link. Yeah, why not? I have a subscribe and save where I get toilet paper delivered every few months or something. Yeah. Because, you know, it's good to build up like a buffer of toilet paper in case the big shit hits the fan, I, like in case the big one goes down. I, I always say this. collapse. You're going to need to barter with that stuff. Well, I always say this. When the shit hits the fan, the shit's going to need toilet paper. Exactly. Yeah. So it's as, it's as good as having canned food, yep. bullets, and gold. Having you a stockpile of toilet paper. <laughs> um, somebody got a Nordic Ice No Sweat Reusable Long-Lasting Gel Pack. This is just your basic ice pack that's refreezable that you can put in your lunchbox to keep your, cold, your food cold. And they got a three-pack for five bucks. That's not bad. Now, I always wonder, what is the gel that's in these things? Cause have you ever had one of these um, ice packs leak and it's like this blue gel that's inside? What the fuck is that gel? I don't know what it is. I mean, it must be something that's mostly water-based, but I have no idea what's inside. I don't know. I'm just curious. If you know, let me know. Sexandsciencehour.com. I would... Inquiring minds, I tell you. Um, okay. A few more items and then we're done. Are um, we above two hours? Not yet. We're okay. still one fifty-eight. So I was going to say we should just like stop. Like, or, all right, keep no, going. We can't quit. I mean, this might be one of our longest shows. We didn't intend okay. to make it this long. Yeah. Okay. Now we're just making it longer. So yeah. <laughs> so good news. Somebody is starting a podcast. It looks like somebody got the Audio Technica AT two thousand five USB mic, which is a good. It's a mic that's been recommended by some other podcasters who mm-hmm. really know their stuff in audio, and I have not tried this mic myself. But apparently they say it's good. It was uh, sixty three dollars, and uh, you know Audio Technica makes good introductory mics, and they make some higher end mics. I haven't tried those, but I found for my first few years of podcasting and even my first like few months of voiceover, an Audio Technica mic really did the trick. It was the AT twenty twenty, and then I graduated to a better mic. Right now I'm using the RE twenty um, Electro Voice mic, which is awesome. You're on the Shure SM seven B. And um, we're using some compressors, the DBX um, 286S compressors, which give us our amazing sound. Um, and, of course, Sony uh, 75.7... Sony... Shit. Sony MDR 7506 headphones. You have a webpage on smvoice.info. That, I do. Like, smvoice.info slash studio. Yeah. And now we've passed the two-hour mark. Yay. Uh, but this person got... Also, some headphones to go with their uh, microphone. Very good. They got Audio-Technica headphones as well, the ATH M20X professional headphones, which I I have these headphones. They're 50 bucks. I don't... I didn't like them that much. I, they're, they. I mean, they're better than... They're better than some headphones, but nothing is as good as the Sony's. Those are just broadcast standard yeah. for radio people. Yeah. And I I realize that I'm I have a background in radio, so some of my equipment skews toward like the things that radio people like. Like maybe if I was more trained in acting, I would have different equipment. But I I have a Neumann mic as well. I use it for travel. It's Honestly, I love the RE20, so mm-hmm. I use it as my main workhorse. Yeah, but I mean, if you're just starting out, I think that's great equipment. I yeah. liked the Audio-Technica uh, headphones, mm-hmm. and I mean, and, and there's something for sticking within a brand, within like an ecosystem. I think that's uh, not a bad idea at all. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, you know what? Just by buying this equipment, whoever is, is doing this is getting better audio quality than 99% of the podcasters absolutely. out there. Absolutely. So, <laughs> Way better than the even 1%. the Yeti. <laughs> yeah, I, I think that will probably sound better than the than the Blue Yeti, yeah, yeah. maybe. 
Um, so let's see. They also got um, like muffs for the microphone, which is like the little foam condom that you put over the microphone so mm-hmm. your spittle doesn't get in the microphone. And they got the type they got was the on-stage ball type mic windscreen in black. Yeah, very two, important. Two ninety five for one. Yes, wear a microphone condom. It's two ninety five for Christ's sake. Yeah, and when I mean when I start getting sweaty, like. I am spewing. Oh my gosh, sweaty and pedantic. Yeah, you just spew all over it. I That's know. That's right. <laughs> um, and the last item we have today. All right. The last thing we have. Oh no, there's two things. <laughs> so Jeez. I'm I forgot another ice pack. This is really fucking cute. Okay, so in addition to the Nordic ice ice pack, there's another three pack of ice packs, but these have little cartoon owls all over them. <laughs> I don't know why owls, but it's so cute. You have to look at this. Marduk. Ice, ice pack for lunch boxes. Yeah, maybe it's an Illuminati thing. Yeah. Ice pack for lunch boxes by Bentology Owl Design. You just look it up on Amazon. So cute. It's like it's like Facebook stickers, Pusheen level cute. <laughs> <laughs> and the last thing, the last thing, someone has a dog, apparently, or they're trying to practice weird medicine, and they got canine dewormer by Panicure. So this will kill those tapeworms, hookworms, roundworms, and whipworms in dogs. Okay. Because, you know, dogs like to get into all kinds of poop and things that might transmit worms, I suppose. Dead. Yeah. That's bad. Yeah. I wonder about heartworms. Is it, aren't heartworms like a big thing? I don't know. Like the worms can get in your heart. Oh, ugh. I don't even want to think about it. <laughs> that, you know, I went to medical school for two years. I oh, took no. a parasitology class. The stories I could tell. The guy who taught it was 88 years old at the time when he, when he taught this. We had a birthday mm-hmm. for him. And a, one of the students made him a birthday cake that was like, she took like a round cake, like an in a bunt pan, and she cut it in half and she made like a little wave that looked like a worm and then the head of the worm was another cake and then it had like all kinds of candy all over it so like the the cake for the parasitology teacher was shaped like a worm wow and and he it was just the kind of guy he was he would he would use like overheads like all the other teachers had lectures in powerpoint and there was high tech his lectures were on overheads and he and he would t- just tell these memorable stories about people who he saw that contracted these horrible worm diseases. And uh. I, it was the best diet ever because I didn't feel like eating for like hours after the class. It was so disgusting. <laughs> I am so squicked out by worms. Like, ugh. yeah, kid just can't even can't even stand the thought. Occasionally. I'll share one of my deepest, darkest secrets with you. Occasionally, I get scared that I might have some kind of parasite or something, and I I just freak out because, like, what would I do about that? Because they're hard to get rid of, too. Yeah, what can you do? Like, what yeah, if I, I shout out a tapeworm? That would be, like, my worst night, one of my worst nightmares. I guess it wouldn't be the worst thing in the world because you'd live, but ugh, yeah. those things are horrifying. It's not just... Oh, anyway, I, I need to stop talking about this. They Let's just say they can be very long... Yeah, I, and when you yeah. <laughs> when they when they die, you have to shit them out. Yeah. So. Yeah. Anyway, that is not a good note to end on. No, I, I it's just, not. Oh, no. <laughs> Go look at the cute owls on Amazon for shit's sake! Oh my god. 
can't even think about this. Thank you to everyone who shops through stuff.sexandsciencehour.com. Yes. We will be coming out with other nations' Amazon links uh, for sure pretty soon. So stay tuned for that. In the meantime, we'll be back at you next week. Go to sexandsciencehour.com to find all our social media and to subscribe to our podcast feed. And tell a friend, tell two friends about our show. Share it on your Facebook if you like, if you use Facebook. We certainly do appreciate it. Thanks so much for joining us. And we'll be back at you next week. See you next week. <laughs> 